each of us, there burns the fury of a warrior. In every generation, a few are chosen to prove it. One of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament. Three strangers will travel to the mystical realm of Outworld to defend our people against Shang Tsung. You will die. And his forces of darkness. In an ancient tournament, one more victory. Your soul is mine. And our world no! is theirs. It has begun. Another case of how John and David and Brent uh, met. You know, this is the this is the annual Mortal Kombat tournament uh, that happens here at Recon Cinema Studios. <laughs> Only the best of the best are going to survive and make it to the show. That's right. We we fight for the safety of Earth. Yeah. Little little known fact that the Mortal Kombat tournament happens on the sacred ground of Recon Cinema Studios over on stage twelve. So that's right. that's where it is. Yeah. <laughs> It's right next to the dilapidated Street Fighter set. Yes, that one's run down. We've converted to... <laughs> We've let that one just fall to shit. <laughs> well, uh, welcome w- welcome back to another episode of Reconcinimation. I'm John Diner. Yeah, I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite movies from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and we're checking out how they hold up today and my God, I thought we've had special episodes before and we've had episodes where I've been really excited. I, this may be this may be the peak. This may be the mm-hmm. new peak because not only what we're talking about, but we have another very special returning guest straight from from the Laser Grave studio. It's it's E.K. Wimmer. Hey, guys. Woo! Hey. I'm back. <laughs> All right. This is exciting. I'm excited, too. This is the first podcast that you and I have done together, and I'm a huge fan. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited, too. And this is, I, you know, it started with, oh, yeah, Mortal Kombat will be fun. And then I started getting into it. I was playing a couple rounds today on my Sega. Then I was watching. I'm like, oh. And now that it's, like, go time, I'm, you know, it's like, fight. It's ready to go. I'm, I'm <laughs> of course amped, it is. Amp, amped up. <laughs> Yeah, welcome back. Uh, what was the last? When was the last time you were here? We had we were we had our hundredth episode mm-hmm. celebration, and and you know all of our friends joined us for that. But prior to yeah. that, was it assault? Assault on Precinct Thirteen? Yeah, I think it was assault. Yeah, right. 
Right, right. Well, well, now you're a, you're a three peat, three peat champion right. here. <laughs> Welcome right. back. I got I got the belt and everything. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're gonna have to do like an annual look back at Canon Films too. We'll just have to you know just keep diving deeper and deeper into that that library (laughs) but instead this time we're going to talk about one of the quintessential pop culture uh, phenomenons from the 90s that converted into uh, an amazing film mortal kombat mortal kombat mortal kombat Kombat. i have to say if 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 you quizzed anyone who knows me even pretty well, like if, oh, Dave, Dave, Dave's going to do a movie podcast. What, what would be some of the movies that Dave would do on a movie podcast? Like what's what's in his wheelhouse? I think Mortal Kombat would like float right to the top. Uh, I can tell uh, my friend Joe uh, absolutely would say, oh, this is this is exactly the movie for you. For all the kinds of movies, everything we cover, all that, it's Mortal Kombat would be my number one reconsinimation movie. Really? Probably. Is this, is this Not, one of your favorites from growing no, up, or is it just the the I pop mean, culture-ness I, of it of it all? I just really enjoy this movie and the pop culture-ness of it. And like it's uh it has a special place in my heart, you know, in a sense, but like because of the theme song, I think too, like lots of different things. But this is like this is the movie Dave would want to talk about on a movie podcast hundred percent. Like yeah. So I, this is a very exciting day for me as well. <laughs> Why did we wait so long then? I cannot I wait to ju- yeah. just dive in. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're well, why didn't you bring this up earlier? I mean, we're at the end, almost the end of uh, year three here on the show. I'm, I mean, I think I was probably embarrassed to suggest it to you for the first year. <laughs> and then I think I've been really pushing for it. I mean, Mortal Kombat comes up in casual conversation between us, John, like very, uh, you know. Pretty often. Every couple of months, at least. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Mortal Kombat, greatest. Yes, <laughs> it's the best. There's so much to talk about. I know. Well, you know, and speaking of that, there's I think we should talk about both the game and the movie because there's just so much. Obviously, they're interconnected and and you wouldn't have the movie without the game and and it being such a such a craze in the 90s, or at least that's how that's how I remember it. What's uh, EK? What's the what's the earliest memory you have of, of Mortal Kombat? Do you play it in the arcade or did when did you start hearing about it? Oh, absolutely. Like this, I mean, like all of us, and kind of everybody in our generation, Mortal Kombat is the defining game. It really is. And so I started, yeah, in the arcades before it even got released on on Sega and, and Super NES. And I was in, I think, seventh grade at the time, because it would have been about 92. And if you guys, anybody who's been in Alamo would know, there was this place called Pizza Mill and Sub Factory. And it was pretty close to the, the middle school. And there was a whole gang of us that would after school, it was the thing to go over to Pizza Mill and have tournaments, Mortal Kombat tournaments. And so this, it, it started that love really, really early. And this is one of the only games I think I have this kind of connection to where not only was it an event to go play Mortal Kombat after school, but uh, this is a time pre-internet when you didn't have access to all the cheat codes and the fatalities and stuff. So learning the fatalities was very much... Um, it was an elite club and you had to earn the right after so many matches to, to understand how to get the fatality codes. And I remember when I would do a fatality, we would have a, a guy who covered with a jacket. He'd cover my hands 
so that all the kids around me couldn't see the fatalities. Wow. And then eventually this, dude, this turns into entire like um, a mob movie by the end, because by the end of the school year, if only I had like a cool uh, suit and gold chain, but I was hustling kids, making them pay me for the codes and stuff because there was no other way to get them. And so Mortal Kombat to me was like a lifestyle. It was like a way of living. <laughs> That's wow. amazing. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, by the time it came out on Genesis, like, forget it. I mean, it was, yeah, it was over the top insane. But no, yeah, arcades, this was the definitive arcade game for, for me. Like, perfect time, perfect age, everything. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. The, I didn't have, I didn't have arcades, r- really, like, big arcades by me. Like, where I grew up in, in, in New York didn't, there was no sidewalks. There's nowhere. There was no like town center in my town where you could go and everyone hangs out. We kind of had to like split off to other nearby towns. And I never remember like a big arcade. Like there's the bowling alley that had arcade games, of course, and like the movie theater had arcade games. So I remember seeing Mortal Kombat there, but I never, I never played it until I don't think till it hit Genesis. So that was. That was my memory, and by that point, it was like the, all the hype had already, you know, the the ball was rolling for sure, and that was, you know, mid late '93. So, um, but what about you, Brent? Did you uh, did you play it in the arcades, or you play it uh, at home? No, similar to you, I didn't really have a cool arcade to go to and and play. I, I, I think so. I caught this 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 would have come out in Sega right around the time that I was starting high school and I remember it hitting Sega and we played it a bunch, but I'm terrible at video games. Like I'm all thumbs. So basically I thought this game was rad because I really liked the, the, the fatalities and the gore and kind of like just the, the gross nature of, of the kills. Uh, but I ended up being kind of the punching bag more often than not to the other players just testing out their skills and trying to learn those codes, which was fine by me. I, I enjoyed watching and, and participating as, as just the whipping boy. But yeah, I didn't have the cool, uh, I, I wish I did. I did not have the cool arcade and I'm just so bad at video games that, that uh, I did enjoy the game quite a bit, but just from kind of an observationalist standpoint. Hey, there's there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. I'm I'm not any good at video games other than like one or two, so. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have an arcade that in my local area that I would go to, too. Yeah, like, there'd be games in the, the, the bowling alley, too, things like that. But where I, I think I distinctly remember experiencing Mortal Kombat in the summer of 92, um, I went, uh, my family goes on annual vacations or went on annual vacations to Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. And there, I was a kid. I hate the beach. I hate, I hate everything about like a summertime like thing other than a swimming pool and a shopping mall. That's all I care. Like just drop me off at the mall because you're going to the beach. I don't care. But there was an arcade there too, which was really cool. Uh, probably like an Aladdin's arcade mm-hmm. mm. or Bally's uh, or whatever. And Mortal Co- Mortal Kombat was there. And I remember being mesmerized by this thing. And there were tons of kids playing it and older kids playing it. And like there was one dude who was just was kicking, kicking a lot of ass. And uh like, you know, you put your quarter on the machine and you can take your turn. So after observing a while and this guy was doing, you know, pretty well, like, I mean, just always it'd be a challenge. But this guy was always like sort of just winning, you know, 
and so it was my first time playing it and i don't remember if i played sub-zero or raiden probably sub-zero and first time ever playing a fighting game and and it's just that beginner's luck thing where you're just kind of button mashing, but also trying to do moves. <laughs> and because he understood the language of the game and facing opponents that also understood the language of the game and the blocks and the moves and all that, there was like a rhythm to his style of play. Whereas I was not complete chaos, but very unfamiliar. And I ended up beating him in both rounds and everyone was like, Ooh. And then of course the <laughs> next guy who played me destroyed me just like absolutely ruined my life but that was like all summer or not excuse me all week that we spent in that that uh on vacation i tried to make time to get over there and play mortal Kombat. and then i remember going back to school in the fall and asking my friends have you heard of mortal Kombat?" and they're like yeah mortal Kombat." and then i think i had it on genesis you know whatever the next year but uh uh one and then i think and two and that was that was good fun both of those games so you had that when you played that guy, you had that like 30 seconds of super cockiness after you won. And you no, like, oh. I wasn't cocky. I was just really surprised. I was like, I can't believe I'm getting hits on him and stuff because he wouldn't, he just, he didn't expect anything. It wasn't like I was great because I was like really nervous. I was like, oh shit. Like I beat like, you know, it wasn't like he was a God or something like, you know, an expert. He's just the guy who just kept winning. And then you were, you were the, the beginner's king. luck came in and it was like, holy shit, what happened? So everyone probably thought I was good until I just got absolutely wrecked. You were the, the king time. of Kong for 15 minutes. Man. Yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well, I had a little bit of glory. It's was that guy? Oh, go ahead, EK. I was going to say, because that arcade culture was so different than going over to your friend's house and mm, playing yeah. it on Genesis or Nintendo. And you know, I because you know that was a, a fun experience too. It was a, a totally different experience. It was just going over and hanging out with your friends and playing Mortal Kombat. But that arcade culture, it was pretty intense because there was there were the beginners and then there were the, the kind of old crusty ones who had learned all the moves and all the fatalities and stuff, and they really dominated. And for me, uh, it was the definitive arcade experience because it wasn't an arcade. It was a a pizza place that had arcades in a mm -hmm. section, yeah. and this mm -hmm. just happened to be one of them. And when I say there was, you know, it was an event, there really was at all times, you know, a group of 10, 20 kids that would sit around for a good two hours after school every day, battling each other at Mortal Kombat. And it became this thing where it got very competitive. But it also, when I look back on my youth and, and my teen years, probably one of the, the most special memories I have is going to the arcade and playing Mortal Kombat before it had broke, you know, before everybody knew what was going on. And that same thing extended into part two, which then transferred to a uh, Peter Piper pizza, which I guess is just a pizza thing, but um, <laughs> I you know, when Peter Piper pizza. That yeah. Like when, that's where two was. And it was the same exact thing again, where people would cover your hands when you were doing all the, the fatalities and stuff and you would have to kind of earn the right. And I loved it. I mean, it was just, it's unlike any other video game I've ever experienced was Mortal Kombat was so unique for that time. Yeah, well, it's it's an incredibly important game in the history of video games. In that it was it was the transition. It was really the introduction of. I take that back. Along with a couple of other games in the ninety two ninety three time period, it was it introduced that transition of violence and gore and and it shifted things away from the traditional nintendo and the early days of sega that kind of look and that kind of gameplay and 
put it in a much more realistic setting. I mean, they, you, these were real people in the game. These are, are versions of real people. Um, it wasn't quite motion capture, but a similar system that they used to, to record it. And the, the violence and the blood and the fatalities and, and all of that changed video game culture forever. And of course, it's going to draw people from uh, that were our age. You know, the, teen, the teenagers are going to flock to that. So, yeah, I remember wherever it was. At, I mean, I think our vi- one of our local video stores uh, had arcades, too. And it was just when this game came out, it was just packed. It was like every place was like Flynn's from Tron. It was like just <laughs> jam-packed and, and somebody's Flynn that's just the master of this game. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It was the, the signature thing of Mortal Kombat. Well, it, it had a number of signatures, I guess, but it is. It's like it, you're controlling a real person in a sense, you know, this video version of that person. But it was like a, the fatalities were that secret thing, that 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 thing you did not necessarily have access to uh, the whole time. And they were bloody and disgusting. You're ripping out hearts. You're, you're, you're pulling spines out. Uh, you're, I think froze a guy and exploded them. Um, mm-hmm. I think someone was cut in half. I don't remember. I don't remember all the fatalities from the very first game, but um, I mean, that that's so it's so tame now <laughs> for video <laughs> games. But yeah, of course. what an innovation yeah. that, and, and it's just in your arcade, like, you know, like, oh, I ripped this, ripping is someone's heart from their chest, like, and th- there's just blood effects. And, um, and I think, I think even on the home console, certain consoles didn't have blood effect. I think Nintendo's was, didn't have blood in the first one or no. something. Yeah, yeah that was more. Sweat. And then two, I think you could turn on blood effects in Nintendo, but Sega had it. I think, or, or maybe both. I can't. Re- I'm not remembering. No, it, you're right. right. You're right. Yeah. So, the I think it was the Super Nintendo version. The graphics were closest to the arcade, but they trimmed down all the gore and the fatalities, and and the Genesis one had all that stuff, but the graphics weren't as crisp as the Super Nintendo version. So, yeah, yeah. I and mean, there's a reason for that too. I don't know if you guys knew, but uh, the effect that Mortal Kombat had in between it being the arcade smash hit and and coming to the home systems, it sparked all this outcry. And there was actually, you know, an an organization created that uh, started giving ratings to these games because they were so violent. And the the effect of that was that the Super Nintendo had uh, sweat. It was all gray that was coming out. It wasn't blood. Whereas with the Genesis, there was a blood code that you entered at the beginning. Right. And it's funny because in my brain, you know, it's A-B-A-C-A-B-B. And the reason why I know that is because I entered it all the time playing it on Genesis. But then in school, when I would uh, get stuck, this is a very true story. When I would get stuck testing um, and I wouldn't know the answers and I would just flip out, I would put in the blood code for my answers, A-B-A-C-A-B-B. And that's how I used to test when I uh, was at a loss of the answers. And I usually, I usually pass the test. So uh, there, <laughs> there you go. go. Well done. The contra code doesn't work as well for testing. Which no, is- no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you for eliminating. I, I remember. Yes, it was blood code, and then yeah, you had grayed out sweat. That's uh, but it was, and it's funny because I had a Genesis. None of my friends had Genesis. The friends I did ha- ha- who had video games all had Super Nintendos. Um, so I always had a different experience uh, with my MK games. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
my friends were split. I, I was a Genesis guy. I had Sega CD. I, I leaned into Sega CD when that got big, but uh, it was like half and half, half Genesis, half Super Nintendo for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, we actually got the Sega so that we could play the Mortal Kombat. Yeah, on, yeah right? that was like, mine too. Like we didn't, you know, because I didn't have the arcade, you know, the the Mortal Kombat came to me more as like the lore of Mortal Kombat. It's like, you got to check this game out, but you got to check it out on Sega. And so when when it all started happening, like we specifically got a Sega so that we could get Mortal Kombat, so that we could see the gore and that grittiness and that realism, you know, is it was evolutionary at the time, you know, like all the fighting games prior to that were very cartoony. So it was... It was, although I was terrible at it, it was really exciting still and, and a lot of fun. But yeah, it was specifically, we got the Sega to, to experience that. I had that same experience as I had a, a best friend growing up right down the street. And when Mortal Kombat came out, we made a decision and like schemed with our parents where he would get the Super Nintendo and I would get the Genesis so we could double dip in everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I got it specifically to play Mortal Kombat. And then you're right, what happened is there were games like Eternal Champions and stuff that came out on Genesis that just did not have the same grittiness and gore of no. it. So it, yeah, that was my same experience. It was all about the ability to play Mortal Kombat. And if I was going to, word had already gotten out that the Genesis might've had uh, inferior graphics, but you could still do all the fatalities. So that's right. the route I'm gonna go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a Sega Game Gear for like a oh, year yeah. before I had uh, a Genesis actually. So it's funny because I actually experienced a lot of Mortal Kombat on that, you know, at home. And then eventually with the game, with the Genesis having Mortal Kombat on that, uh, it, it was like an upgrade. Like I got to play it on my game. Yes, Sega Game Gear. Cause I remember oh, awesome. I kind of wanted a, a Game Boy, but I think my, I, I think it was a Christmas present and my, I think my folks were like, well, it's in color and it's cooler. And I'd shown interest in, you know, video games. So I think it was like, how about this? I was like, I didn't even, I don't even think I really knew what it was really. And then uh, I played a lot of different games and became a, became a big fan of Sonic on my Game Gear and Mortal Kombat. Mm -hmm. And those were my first games on Genesis that I wanted. And EK was just holding up uh, so that only yeah. we can see it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Physical. Sorry, guys. His his actual Game Gear that he currently owns. That's amazing. Which I have I have Mortal Kombat on it too. Nice. Did you, did you play it today? Not on my Game Gear, just on my normal Genesis. <laughs> um, now, all right. So let's just backtrack a little bit. Um, talk about the the creation of this game. So. The game was actually developed by Ed Boon and John Tobias for Midway, and which was a big game company that survived, I think, only in the mid-90s. And I think they were gone by the late 90s. But they were developing a game that was built around Jean-Claude Van Damme. And it was supposed to be built for uh, Universal Soldier, I believe. And they were going to make a, vi a video game version of that. And then that deal sort of fell apart, fell through, and they morphed it, just changed it just enough. But you can totally see that the Johnny Cage character is Nicolas Cage, or is Nicolas Cage, is, uh, if only it were, um, it was Jean-Claude Van Damme from Bloodsport, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's got the same wardrobe, he looks like the actor actually looks like him, same size basically, and same initials. Yeah, and this was also to counter, uh, in 1991, we're talking 92, 91, the year prior, the, the big game of the year was Street Fighter 2. So this was a direct reaction to that, was 
how can we compete with Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2, but how can we also make it bigger and better? And I mean, I don't know if you could have done anything that is smarter than changing the graphics and the look that set yourself immediately apart from your competition. Because that was 100%. I love Street Fighter 2, but no way. I mean, the second I saw the graphics on Mortal Kombat and those people, there was nothing like it. I'd never seen anything like this. Well, yeah, you're controlling people. And, and that just hadn't been done before. I mean, obviously, today it's nothing. But back in 90, 92, when the arcade game came out, it was such a draw. Like, how could you not want to at least try this game out? Mm-hmm. And Street Fighter had great, had great graphics, too. I feel like that was like a step up, but still in that more, I don't want to say cartoonish look, but the, a more animated look, you yeah. know, Japanese animation style. Whereas this was just like, oh, suddenly it's reality. I think I feel like Sega, Sega CDs, especially the games they were putting out there were more and more uh, had actual people like Night Trap. Let's talk about Night Trap for a second. Oh, well, that's <laughs> the other game that caused the caused this whole board to be created. Right. To yeah, start the exactly. Ratings. It was it was Night Trap. It was Mortal Kombat, uh, Lethal Enforcers and Doom, I think, were were four of the top games that had such an extreme level of violence that hadn't really been seen before that. Yeah. It created the, the entertainment software rating board, which that's what still exists today. Right. Yeah. In, America, knowledge, right? Yeah. Yeah. Amer- in North America, I think it's, it's the big board. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So you'll always see a, a rating on all your games. So you know, what's safe to play with you and your teens or children or uh, parents. <laughs> <laughs> so 17 plus those are the only games i play with my parents so. exactly perfect yeah <laughs> hyper violent one so this would be mortal combat combat would be the what temple of doom sort of of video games wasn't right. temple mm-hmm. of doom that created the the pg-13 or was the the impetus for it right i think it's the first one that ended up it, it influenced it, right? And then yeah. it was the first one that was theatrically released with a, rate, a PG-13 rating. Is that right? I always get them mixed up. Was it, Red, was it Red Dawn that was the first one that was released with the PG-13, but it was created because of Temple of Doom? I, I think is what I think that's right, actually, yeah. Uh, hey, this is, this uh, Mortal Kombat's kind of like the two live crew of, uh, of oh, albums. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the, right. the, D, the D Snyder of Twisted Sister, you know, this is all happening, but in the 80s, this was a, a, you know, a decade prior, but the same exact idea. Everybody got freaked out and a board gets together and starts reviewing and rating everything, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because I was watching Logan's Run the other day, which is a PG movie, and it's just filled with nudity. And I think that that's really funny because anything you see from the 70s or early 80s that says PG, it's it's not. It's not PG. It, it can almost be R, really. <laughs> yeah, today's standards for sure. Yeah. It's funny. The first movie I ever remember seeing that was PG-13, although I saw Temple of Doom and, and uh, the other one you had mentioned, it was Dreamscape. Do you remember that movie? Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that the, yeah. the Dennis Quaid? It is Quaid. But yeah, I remember it. That's the one where, you know, this little kid's having nightmares and, and there's this evil man who's in his in his nightmares causing problems and it's not freddy krueger <laughs> <laughs> which uh what, so what was your guy's favorite character who was your go-to uh player for in mortal kombat one or two uh raiden and sub-zero in that order 
in that order. So you're a Raiden number one, Sub Zero number two. Okay. Yeah. Copy. Yeah. Uh, Brent, what about you? Or yeah. or who did you like, even if you didn't play it as much? Who did you who did you lean to as far as preference? It was probably Sub Zero and Scorpion were the two that I remember playing the most. All right. Yeah. EK, what about you? Yeah, I'm with David too. It's same exact. It's Raiden always and yeah. then Sub Zero is my go to. And it's funny because I have a I took my daughter to the mall here not too long ago and there was a little arcade that I found and one of the games they have is Mortal Kombat 2 in that little oh, arcade. Man. What? And like I lost my mind. I just like cashing in all the quarters and I was, I just checked out and it was I was just reliving it and I immediately went to, you know, actually Sub-Zero was my go-to for this one because for some reason I remember the moves a lot easier with Sub-Zero because I think they translate to more modern moves in, in video gaming than Raiden did. Raiden was a lot of back and forth things, whereas Sub-Zero right. were these half circles and that just, that became more standardized, I'd say. But yeah, I still, I played Mortal Kombat 2 on the arcade probably a week ago. I, I go there a lot and I still, oh my I God. just live up my past. <laughs> Do you school young punks? I, yeah, I roll up my sleeves, <laughs> show my tattoos. I let my hair down. Uh, like, let's go, dude. You pull and off in like s- a Trans Am. Yeah, yeah. I make my daughter hold the jacket now to cover the fatalities, and then I make the kids pay me. <laughs> um, yeah, Raiden was always. I don't know what it is about Raiden. Just the uh, the something about his character. He would he could teleport. He could Superman. He had electricity. The Superman, of course, is when he just flies across the screen and bashes you into the wall. But like I've always said, if I were to ever create a video game, uh, I I would I would call it. Uh, oh shoot, what was it? It was uh, it was light. Oh, chain chain lightning splash damage. So any video game where there's chain lightning attacks or or things where you know connect that's damaging multiple enemies. Um, or just splash damage from, you know, area of effect kind of things. Those are kind of my, like, for whatever reason, I love those kinds of things. So uh, I don't know. Raiden just kind of hits like one of my top two video game mechanics by just having lightning as part of his, his repertoire. <laughs> I can tell you, interesting, this might be the same for you, David, is I can pinpoint why Raiden was my number one character. And it's because he reminded me, and it was based off of Big Trouble in Little China. I was just and that, about yeah. To, yeah. 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 Right. yeah, I was such a huge, and still am. It's probably one of my top five favorite movies. So the second I saw Raiden, I it felt like I was playing a character from that movie, and yeah. it, that that instant instantly was going to be my favorite character, and it's never changed. Yeah, I could. That probably could be it. It could be just triggering some an, an additional kind of thing another memory another you know like thing that i enjoyed and then like oh this guy's cool like <laughs> he's great so yeah that's probably it i mean i'm sure that's got to be related in some way i've got i've actually got a curveball as far as who my favorite character was to play as so mine, mine was kano kano i, I wow. think i'm one of five people who like to play as kano sub zero was my number 2 but Kano is my guy. I don't even I don't even know why that was. I just liked his look so much. I don't know. He he felt like he felt like a G.I. Joe character to me, I think. Mm-hmm. I was such a G.I. Joe nut that he's like this mix of like Destro and Major Blood and I don't know, maybe you know, one of the dreadnoughts, but uh so I, I just leaned his direction. 
I don't think he was the best character by any means. Uh, he was probably in the bottom half of, of who everyone else liked. But none of us, interesting that none of us picked Liu Kang. The hero of the game. Yeah. 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 Who... He's, a great, he's a great character, too. You know, it's funny when you picked Kano. I was going to ask earlier, kind of a survey between four people of if anybody used Kano or Sonya, because that was the direct reason why those two only got left out of part two is that they studied the kind of numbers and the statistics and that those two were the least favorite characters. And that's why they didn't make it to part two. But yet here we have one out of four of us went to Kano. So yeah. huh. what, do they, what do they know? <laughs> Apparently nothing. Uh, two wasn't very successful. So, Well, the designs are interesting in those characters because like, and it's hard to how they translate because I mean, Sonya in the first game sort of translates she, she's wearing like workout clothes, you know, like not, yeah. and they're all wearing workout clothes because they're doing martial arts, but like because you know, she her skin is covered the way it's covered, and it's it's not, you know, because in two you had female characters, but they were clearly more like sexed up, you know, just a little more attractive female accentuating out outfits. Where Sonya has a ponytail and she's wearing her her workout gear, and not that not that that's in a has to be the appeal but it's clearly like it probably was part of the thing and you know a bunch of boys playing this game primarily wanting to kill each other aren't picking the girl character um that you know uh i don't know i think there's probably something to that like it's in the design uh and kano to me like yeah i don't know i could see why people don't like kano if you're not into like you know he's not drawn you're not drawn to him like like a gi joe character or something like that it's just sort of like there's just cool colorful characters sub-zero and scorpion blue and yellow and yeah and like raiden with the lightning like th those are standout characters you know whereas luke Kane and johnny cage are both kind of just plain looking and mm -hmm. sonya's kind of on that plane of just being plain but yeah because she's a girl she kind of suffers too right yeah and the, the look of the characters i mean god that was part of what made this game stand out so much is that these characters looked, they looked great. They looked incredible. They, they, I mean, they had 64 colors each, <laughs> which at the time was amazing. I mean, yeah. and, and the fact that like Scorpion and Sub-Zero and Reptile later on are all played by the same performer. And I think, I think, I believe it was Reptile who was originally red. And then after it was recorded, they changed his colors to green. Oh. So, you know, they had basically they they are essentially the same character, just with different. They had different moves and different fatalities. Who went to red? Wasn't it Ermac or something like that? He was one of the hidden characters. Yeah, he's the, red, he's the red ninja. Right. Yeah. And the, yes, yeah. there was a red one later on. Yeah. And what do you think about the story? I mean, the, the, the plot of the of the game was. I always felt like it was really straightforward, made sense. It's a battle battle for Earthrealm, essentially, for whether or not it's going to fall into the hands of evil, the evil sorcerer uh, Shang Tsung and his boss, really, Shao Kahn, and, and that you have the Earth's greatest heroes, or not heroes, but fighters, fighting it out to save uh, save this realm from that. I thought that was pretty pretty straightforward and... Uh, I think everyone kind of latched onto that. Yeah, it's simple because it got a little, you know, for American audiences, it got a little more exotic as you you kind of went through. And, you know, we're not even talking about Goro, the, the penultimate character of the of the <laughs> thing. 
and then you get to the end and it's a surprise of like these this old uh wizened you know uh asian asian emperor or, or no he's not an emperor but shang sung just this old character, and then you have to fight him and then he's turning into different characters like oh my god but then the, you know a lot of those maps were kind of uh exotic looking in a sense so it's so it kept it kind of simple and you know, uh, and you what? It's only seven characters are the main characters, right? Yeah. So, you know, there was only so much room. Wait, and could then... you play? But you couldn't play as I thought it was six characters because it's Sonya. No, it's Kano. seven. Who's it's the Kano. all right? Who am I missing? Luke Sonya King. Kano, Raiden, Raiden, Johnny Cage, Johnny Sub-Zero. Cage, Scorpion. Scorpion. That's okay. Yeah, Raiden. That's you couldn't play Sonya. as rep, as reptile. He was a he was the first actual. To my knowledge, he was the first hidden character you could unlock in a video game. This was kind of a breakthrough. Hmm. And it was very specific. I don't know if you guys remember the way you could get to Reptile to battle him in part one, but it was it was kind of bonkers. And you had to know about that too, which yeah. was it had to be only on the pit level, you know, which is on the bridge. Um, and then in the background of the pit level, there's a moon. And every, I think it's like sixth time you play that level there will be a silhouette that will pass by the moon. And if the silhouette passes by the moon, you have to get two flawless victories in a row and do a fatality on that level with the silhouette. And it will unlock unlock, and you'll go down to the pit where the spikes are and you'll battle reptile. That's right. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> That is a lot to get there. That's insane. <laughs> it was pretty insane. We used to pay people to allow us to... Like I'd, I'd give you a buck if you just let me beat you two times flawless victory just so I could unlock a reptile and then everybody would swarm around to see what he looked like because it was so exotic. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. I had no idea. That's 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 next level. That's beyond <laughs> anything I experienced in the game, but that's so cool. But wasn't he kind of like just jacked up and just fought? Like he didn't like have any special powers, right? He just he just kicked your ass, right? Or in no, that, he had in the, the combination. One? No, Reptile had. Um, he was a combination of both Scorpion and Sub Zero, I think, oh, in the first. Right, uh, right. And he was he was faster too. Yeah. And then it was by part two is when they introduced people like Smoke and all those, and and then they would have like one of them would have some powers, the other. Reptile became a playable character in part two that had like acid and all these yeah. cool moves. He could go invisible, but yeah, in part one, he was just this, this crazy kind of urban legend, unless you were one of the kids who knew how to, how to unlock uh, him. So it was fun, man. It was just such fun times. <laughs> so do you guys remember the, uh, the mortal Monday ad campaign too, for the, the, the home, the home version release? Yes. Those people, commercials are amazing. People running through an empty city, right? And, yeah, it's like, like that. It's like um, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, you'd you'd categorize them as as troubled teens. I think you'd see them <laughs> running through running through the streets, just like a parade of them, all running. And then there's this one kid who's screaming. Who screams it, and then it morphs into like an adult who's screaming it, and then that's your your patented Mortal Kombat sound. Mortal Kombat! Are you are you guys aware of of who whose voice that is that says that 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 makes that sound? No, I bet we're about to find out. It's David. 
<laughs> yeah, it was me. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. No, it was it was in fact that kid from the commercial. His name's Kyle Wyatt. I mean, this is not a million percent confirmed, but he has said that they took his voice and just lowered the pitch to make it sound like an adult. And I, I've I've seen a video of someone who did the same thing, who took his voice from the commercial and did the same experiment, and it was pretty. It wasn't exact, but it was pretty spot on. So mm-hmm. I'm sure with more sophisticated equipment that they uh, they did that. But for years, people wanted to know who was the, who's the Mortal Kombat guy. Yeah, and that Steve translated to get royalties for that, right? <laughs> yeah, I wonder. It's funny because that became the the signature part of the, the the techno theme song, right? Like the yeah, the, the scream, right? And there was no there's no royalties for that guy. I mean, there was yeah. they didn't like bring him back in and record it officially. It was just a, a soundbite taken from that commercial that, that just lived on to this day. And the, these people who were trying to track down uh, this guy went to the studio and, and the, the, the owner, you know, who, I don't remember who owns the rights right now, but they tracked all the way through the proper channels and nobody had any record of who actually recorded that. So it was probably just a decision somebody made with audio they had already captured and just modified and, sent it out wow you know what's funny though is that sometimes um money isn't the greatest thing you can get from a job and that this guy i'm guarantee you till the day he's like 80 he's gonna be that's his pickup line at a party right like hey you know hey baby you know i'm the i'm the mortal Kombat guy (laughs) all the ladies fall for that yeah i mean wow that's how he got his wife for sure yeah. I mean, can you just picture in college, every college party, like he walks in the room and he says it and that's it. Now, now it's on. Yeah. Yeah. Now I mean, the party if, can start. If he didn't have a VHS tape of himself in that commercial and then him, you know, showing that off all the time. I mean, he'd be crazy. You'd, you'd, you'd have to have <laughs> it. Multiple copies of it. Yeah, so the game came out September, I believe September 13th, 93 on a home video, not home video, but the home version of the game. And it was, it exploded. I mean, the arcade, you know, existence of it in the arcades was, was huge, but it was the ad campaign for the, for the home version that really, really sent it over the edge. And ever, I mean, I, I think everybody I knew that had a game system had Mortal Kombat, whether their parents allowed it or not. <laughs> they they had it and uh and the reaction was strong like we said it created the the rating system and and all those other games too i was a big i I was one of the few people that owned night trap and loved that Mm -hmm. game and of course now you look at it on youtube and it's just kind of silly but uh it was the the reaction of the violence was really extreme and even joe lieberman i think was leading the the uh senate you know committee that was investigating all of this and and also campaigning to stop these violent games from coming out Mm. so yeah so the game is huge we've got uh, it rolls almost immediately right into mortal kombat 2 which i think it hit i think mortal kombat 2 came out in arcades in like january 94 and then the home version was september 94 so within Mm -hmm. you know about almost exactly a year later it comes out and it's like we were talking about it's the same game, just better. Everything is just stepped up. You've got more characters. You've got a little bit edgier fatalities. I mean, 
edgier even than the first game, but it's just more. The graphics are a little better. The gameplay is a little better. I think there's two or three more characters than there were in the first one. Or maybe even more. No, there's a lot, right? Yeah, Yeah, there's there's like 12, right? Yeah, there's a ton more. And then also you get the introduction of um, of you, you get babalities and friendships, which were just a total uh, jab at the the censorship. <laughs> right. So that's what that was brought on for. Yeah. And then it it was massive. I mean, the the home version of that was the highest selling video game of all time at that point. So incredible success. And yeah, I would agree. I love part one. I have nostalgia for it. But part two was kind of like the sweet spot because it it had just a little bit more. It was like a more refined, polished version of part one. And I, yeah. even though part three got crazier, part three introduces all these running moves and combos, I still will always go to part two is, is, is definitely my favorite one. Yeah, same. Yeah, when I, if I were to play those games now, which I can because I have one of those, I have one of those mini Genesis things, that came, yeah. those consoles cool. that came out a few yeah. years ago. And it's yeah, got the too. first three Mortal Kombats. And of the three... Mortal Kombat 2 is definitely the one I gravitate to. It's just, it just, I don't know. Like you said, it's the sweet spot. It's the, it, it three just kind of starts getting a little too much and one is not mm-hmm. enough. So two yep. is just right in there and it's got the right mix of characters at their best kind of look and everything. So, um, but yeah, one had like it, within the first two months when it came out, it sold, it shipped 3 million copies and two was even more than that. By so it comes out in September, it made fifty million dollars in the first week. Jeez, that's I mean, a lot. there you go. That's incredible. It made one hundred and fifty million by December '94, and by two thousand two, between all the re-releases and everything, it had made four hundred million. Yeah, and Atari is like, ah, oh, you remember those days? <laughs> 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 those were the good times. <laughs> yeah. But that's incredible. I mean, it was just, it was a part of the pop culture movement of the 90s. And, you know, we were talking earlier, EK, I was kind of, I was kind of thinking that Mortal Kombat, because of the violence and the way that it shifted how games were designed and created, uh, that it was also kind of the Pulp Fiction of what Pulp Fiction was, did for movies Mortal Kombat did for video games and it just really turned a corner and kind of woke another part of video game creators brains mm-hmm. up. Yeah, I would agree too. that introduction of, of violence as entertainment in a more mainstream way as well. You know, it was kind of like the cool version of violence versus violence to that point, And especially in cinema had been, you know, just pigeonholed into the horror genre, but Pulp Fiction wasn't a horror movie yet it had all this violence in it. And I'd say Mortal Kombat's the same way. Mortal Kombat wasn't a, a horror video game, but yet it was an incredibly violent video game and it just opened the door to a whole new audience of what could be. So yeah, absolutely. And one, one more thing before we uh, switch gears over to the movie. Did anybody have the... So the, the let's talk about the soundtrack. So... There was an album called Mortal Kombat, the album released. And I think that was for the first game when it hit home, when it hit the home version. But it was by a, ba- a band called the Immortals. And <laughs> did anybody own that album? I did not. I had, <laughs> though, on cassette, 
the soundtrack to part two, the movie uh, Annihilation, mm. that the cassette was like a gimmick cassette and it opens up like a cigarette case, you know, with a flip top and mm. then you pull the cassette out. Ooh. And I thought that was pretty cool, even <laughs> though it's a horrible soundtrack. I, I thought it was pretty cool, but I never had the, uh, the first one at all. I the- will tell you that at this very moment, I have the CD sitting in a case in my backpack where it's been for years. I have no idea why, but for some reason that CD made its way into my backpack. I know it's there and I just don't ever want to take it out. I want it with me all the time. Yeah. Um, I had that, that for the first movie soundtrack uh, all, and I listened to that constantly that rewatching this movie was taking me back to moments of me playing video games or working on a, and I mean, I listened to the soundtrack for years. So like it was always that I get into spurts where it's like, Oh, that's the only CD in my little, my tiny little boom box with no equalizer or anything. You know, it's not a stereo. I don't have a stereo system or anything, but there'd be, I'd go on these Jags where like, that's the, I, that's typically me with my music choices. Anyway, I just get on a Jag and like, okay, this is the CD I'm going to be listening to now for the next six weeks. It's just, that's all I do. So like this, uh, that, that album. And of course the, that the immortals song, uh, it, it, all of it, every, every, every little moment in that there's a, it's all ingrained in my brain. Um, so even, uh, listening, watching the film and going through the entire credits, it's like, yeah, I remember that one. I love that. And like, you know, I could just kind of bop along with, every track in the from the soundtrack i never had the soundtrack but john john here used to have a book of cd soundtracks i think in college and i remember i would flip through it often to see which score whichever cd i might want to borrow and that mortal Kombat one was was right there always with the dragon head i was like oh yep, yep. there it is that's the one that's in my backpack right now. <laughs> that, that was the third CD I owned. That was, and for years, like I couldn't, cause it's not, if you look up, if you go online, you look up the, the uh, album by the immortals that, that is not the soundtrack to the first movie. It's the soundtrack for the game or the release of the game. And, and each track is like a song is dead. There's a, there's a track for each character okay so like kano has a song and they all basically sound the same thing um the traditional mortal combat theme technically the name is techno syndrome that's the name of that track but yeah i couldn't find that for years that it had like a like a yin yang symbol and i i could not track that down it doesn't even the one that's online doesn't even have that picture on it so I've thought for years that what I had was like a sample album that was had some kind of limited release, but I don't know. But that, but that is the the same same CD. So, yeah. so do you think there were two? Because I just looked it up, and also, and there for the soundtrack on Mortal Kombat for 1995, there are one, two, three songs from Stabbing Westward, KMFDM, what? Napalm Death. They're all on here so that's interesting i wonder if there was a a score hey. and a soundtrack maybe there i think there was there might have there might have been i could definitely see that i mean a lot of movies did that in the 90s that's what They'd i think it was i think Batman there was the, the yeah the score uh, which was all the electronic like techno stuff 
Right. And then the actual, like the soundtrack, which was the music of these bands and stuff. The games are huge. It's 90. Now it's, we're, we're getting into 94. Two is out. The phenomenon of the, of, of this, you know, pop culture icon, Mortal Kombat is, is here. So of course it most, it makes the most sense that you're going to make a movie out of it. What, uh, when was the, when was the first time, EK, we'll start with you. When was the first time you saw the movie? Did you catch it in the theater? Or were you first in line? I, well, I was. I don't know if I was first in line, but I had. Yeah, I saw it in the theater, and I had very high hopes, as I think all of us did. Because if you were a huge fan of the games, and now there was going to be a movie, this was like the event. Um, so yeah, I definitely saw it in the theater. I saw it. At the there was a little theater in the mall, and I went with a couple friends, and and then I watched it several times after. And I'm, I, you know, I still. It's something I'll revisit regularly. I think it's. <laughs> As cheesy as it is, the movie just is like a, it's just comfort. And and it started right there in the theater, very first time. Yeah. Uh, Brent, what about you? Uh, yeah, I definitely saw it in the theater, but I, I, I don't remember really liking it all that much. Like just um, because I didn't have such a strong connection with the game, like the game was, was like a fun thing that, that, had been part of, you know, my life, but it wasn't, you know, like a huge centerpiece. And, and I don't know the movie, I just felt like the acting was off and didn't really hit for me, but I mean, going back and rewatching it now, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's cheesy. It's super cheesy. There's a lot of, a oh, lot yeah. of cheese, but yeah. it, and on that, on that level, like it, it actually now has like kind of a better, I have a better fondness for it, like from a nostalgic standpoint then I probably would have, you know, when it first came out and I was just some pompous, arrogant kid who wanted to be a filmmaker and thought he knew how to do it better than anybody else, right? So uh, watching it now though, like I, I actually really enjoyed it. I think that what had happened with me was that I immediately was kind of shocked at how much it wasn't like the video game. And mm -hmm. it could have gone in two ways where it could have been like me hypercritical and hated everything about it because it wasn't true to the video game or I could have just accepted it for being fun. And I don't know why I chose to as a teenager, but I just accepted it right away as yes, it was nothing like what I was expecting. However, I was just so happy to have a live adaptation sure. uh, that, that I looked past it. Yeah, absolutely. David, what about you? Did you catch it in the theater? Absolutely. I don't, I don't have a full recollection of, of the event, but I know I would have seen this in the theater. I, I remember really loving just every minute of it. They just had a, such a good time of it. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, it, it, it was definitely yeah, Christopher Lambert. You had this, the, all these colorful characters. It, it just, the effects at the time were so dope. Um, they look so good, you know, at, at the time, at the time, <laughs> at the time, for, for being the keywords. I remember it feelings like small, like kind of like, I, I don't think I would have termed it then, but like, you know, it just seems like a small budget film. Like it's got, it's got a budget, but it's not, you know, it wasn't super slick looking like, you know, uh, of these blockbuster movies. It wasn't trying to be a blockbuster but I felt like that that's the spirit of the first game kind of comes through. Like, it's like, mm. it's almost this ragtag kind of, you know, we're making, we're making something cool and we're going to do the best we can with it. And I think, uh, yeah, like that's the, that's the difference between like this movie uh, as a video game adaptation and like almost every other adaptation out there. 
um, by, you know, these studios and stuff, but, uh, you know, and I, I dragged friends who never would have gone to Mortal Kombat Annihilation. I'm like, it's the sequel to them. Like, this is great. We're going to go see it. And man, what a, that's, that was tough. That was oh, yeah. tough. We'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get to Annihilation, which was uh, the annihilation of the movie franchise. Yeah. <laughs> really. uh, I remember exactly where I saw this movie, saw it in the theater. It was on one of my annual summer trips out to Los Angeles to visit my uncle who, who worked in the, in the film industry. And I, I would spend a couple of weeks every year out here with him. And we went to the Third Street Promenade. And I forget the name of the theater, but there's like one movie theater, at least for a long time, there was one movie theater there. And uh, I, you know, he was really trying to get me to expand my horizons like he introduced me to the godfather the following year and i've talked about this on the show he sat me down and schooled me in in the films of the 70s chinatown deer hunter dog day afternoon all those uh but in 95 i wasn't quite there yet so i was still dragging like i dragged him to see independence day the next year but i dragged him to see mortal Kombat as well a couple of days, I think, after this, he made me watch Kids. So I think that was his revenge. Oh, <laughs> wow. But yikes! the thing that really stood out uh, to me was after the movie was over, which I loved. I, I, I loved the movie and I, I was so pumped for it and ready. And uh, I was a huge fan. We came out of the theater. The Third Street Promenade is like an ex, like an outdoor mall area in Santa Monica. And it was packed. It was like a Saturday night and jam-packed full of people and my uncle collides with somebody you know head on just walk right they walk right into each other and who is it it's Heidi Fleiss oh which was the Hollywood madam of the of the 90s and this was right went before she went on trial and it was a big 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 deal at the time so wow and I recognize both of us recognized they were like oh oh my god all right (laughs) You're about to go to jail, probably, and and, and it wasn't OJ level, but it was it was um, it was had a lot of attention. What a day that was for you, meeting <laughs> Heidi Fleiss on on Mortal Kombat Day. Yeah, it was. On, the, on the Third Street Promenade. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> Get over here. The movie really was was spearheaded by the the a producer named Lawrence Kasanoff, who was uh, one of James Cameron's producers. He he ran Lightstorm, which was Cameron's company. I don't know if he still has Lightstorm, but for a long time, I mean, they did The Abyss and T two and True Lies. That was were right around that time zone. And uh, Lawrence Kasanoff was very involved with video games because he helped produce the T two arcade game which was, I mean, you remember that game? That was also a huge video game. And like, I think that came out in like 92, right around Mortal Kombat. Mm -hmm. That was a great game. I poured many quarters into that. I got to the end many, many times and could not beat that T-1000. Never (laughs) could do it. Uh, Even, and then as an adult going to barcades a few years back and there was T-2 and you could just play as long as you're drinking Still couldn't beat that thing. We were on our smartphones looking up how to beat the T-1000. Could not do it still. I'm like, I'm doing what the stupid thing says. It says what to do, where to shoot, how to shoot them. Couldn't do it. Over and over. Lost. Over. Stupid Terminator. It's the, it's the bane of my arcade existence. 
Yeah, there was a uh, remember remember that barcade that that restaurant around or bar around the corner from my house. Yeah, yeah, we visited there once. Yeah, so there place. was this this I don't know. I'm sure they're all over the place, but they're walking everywhere. distance to my house, there was a a really cool bar that just opened up a couple of years ago, filled with it's called Barcade. It's all arcade games and. And they had so many great ones from the 90s. They didn't have Mortal any of the Mortal Kombats, but they did have uh, T2, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, There was one in when I lived in Denver, when I was in grad school, going to, uh, going to school there, they had one called One Up and another one called Two Up. And it was the same idea. It was just an arcade bar. It was really fun. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it was so much fun. And the food was great, too. Come on. What, what else do you need? <laughs> um, but uh, Kazanoff is friends with these guys who, who, uh, you know, Ed Boone and, and John Tobias, and he's hanging out with them and visiting and they're showing him what, what they're creating, what th this whole mortal combat thing. And he immediately sees a franchise right there. He's like, this can be more than just an arcade game. And they didn't believe him. They, they were like, no, what are you talking about? It's just an arcade. That, that, that's all it is. It's like, no, this is a movie. This is a soundtrack. This is, so much more there, there are sequels here you can add characters so he was one of the people that helped push it along and definitely the person who developed it into the movie and i i'm sure i believe he owns the rights to the movies because his name is on every whatever format it's in like his name is is with it and he did i think they did live action like a live action touring company like a fight like tour kind of like like an indiana jones type live action thing and he he produced that and he traveled with them and and this was like his baby it really was like prime prime picking though you could you could take this in any area cartoons whatever i don't know if any anybody else had these i sent john a picture earlier but i still have all my my trading cards my mortal kombat trading cards and what they are are screen caps from the video game with the moves on the back and how to defeat them and oh. and like tips of the trade and stuff like that and and then there are cartoon drawings of all the characters too. And I kept all those. I mean, I, I kind of just bought up anything and everything that was Mortal Kombat related at the time. And I mean, I dressed up, I, I went uh, for Halloween to school. I dressed as uh, Kung Lao in full like razor hat with the everything. I mean, I was, <laughs> nice. Nice. I was all in. <laughs> so I was definitely prime for this you know expand it into a movie do everything you can and i'll eat it all up i was one of those kids yeah there, there was almost god there was almost no way that this movie wasn't going to succeed at least a little bit because just on name alone i mean every teenager who knew the game which was almost everybody was gonna go gonna, going to go to the theater right and really the movie took so this is where it gets interesting because to me, this movie is right on the precipice of it could be like, if you pumped a little bit more money into it, uh, you could really take it to that next level, but they don't, it's a $20 million budget. And you can tell that they've got some beautiful locations. They went, they shot half in LA or around LA and half in Thailand. And you can obviously see where those are, but the, the director, the actors, they're all, not quite on that A-list level. They talked about hiring, you know, of course they wanted Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp for to play Johnny Cage, but that's your entire budget right there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe yeah, not Johnny also... Depp. Maybe you could have got Johnny Depp a little cheaper, but at, at well, that time. 
and Paul Anderson at the time was just, he was a kid. Yeah, I mean, he was so young looking. If you ever watch the behind the make, you know, the, the makings of and stuff like that, and you see him talking, he, he's just so young and so new to it all. And he was this up and coming director. So I think this was the biggest bang for their buck where they could get somebody who they believed in, but clearly could still afford. Um, yeah, and they, they cut some costs. I mean, obviously we'll talk about at the end, the result was, was amazing, but um, yeah, I think they did the best they could. And, and I, I agree that whole idea of the, the movie kind of mimics the first game where it's just, it's just trying to put something out there. And uh, maybe you don't have all the resources you, you wish you had, but that's not going to stop you. Right. Yeah, well, I heard the I heard that the budget was so tight in certain spots that like Christopher Lambert had to like basically pay for his own room and board and and everything out in in Thailand. Thailand is that what they were? Yeah. Um, just so that he could have extra like scenes in the movie. Like he was like, yeah, I'll pay for myself to be out there as long as I can be in it more. You know. But, well, yeah, they they couldn't afford to. They they planned. They couldn't afford to travel him to Thailand. So they were going to shoot all his close-ups in LA and just basically shoot him out of the movie in Los Angeles and have a double in Thailand. And he was like, no, you're not going to do that. So against his agents and managers' wishes, he he paid for himself to go there. And, and then he even paid for the rap party for the crew. That's right. Yeah, I think Last when act. they said, when they said, um, we'll just get you a double... I think his response was, there can be only one. <laughs> oh, dear. I wonder oh, how often he Highlander, says that. Highlander jokes. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Can't, can't ever go wrong with that. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah, they, uh, there was, it sounded like Paul Anderson, who this is his first major movie. He had done a movie mm -hmm. called Shopping, which is how he got the the job here because Lawrence Kasanoff and the other producers had seen that he, it, it was, a, it was a, a low budget film he did with Jude Law, like years before Jude Law was a name. And he was really creative and it was, I think like a hundred thousand dollar budget and it looked like a major movie. So they felt like if he could do that, you know, make that low budget of a movie look big, if he has a decent budget, he can make it look huge. And so they hired him on not having any experience with CGI or fighting <laughs> or you know, way yeah. out of way out of his league for sure. Yeah. But I, well, the one thing he had going for him was that he was a huge Mortal Kombat fan. He was uh, he was at the time, you know, a young director trying to get his career going with lots of meetings, lots of development meetings. So he said he spent a lot of time at the arcade waiting between meetings. So if he would have a morning meeting at, you know, Warner Brothers and and uh, an afternoon meeting with his agent, then what would he do for the two or three hours in between? He'd go to the arcade and Mortal Kombat was the game at the time. And he was in love with it. So as soon as he got wind that uh, it's being developed into a movie, he's pushing for it, even even if he's not ex really the experienced enough to handle that level of a movie. I wonder if that had anything to do with why there's so many um, fan nods in the movie to the game. You know, finish oh, him, yeah. fatality, flawless victory. Yeah. I wonder if if he had any input, being so well versed in the game himself, that he thought. Oh, that'd be fun. Like one of my favorite things is, 
after Johnny Cage kills Scorpion, and then you see the little autographed picture fall down. I <laughs> right. Mean, Beautiful. That is just totally for the fans. I mean, that is just 100% for the fans. Yeah. I, I think they wanted to keep it as faithful to the to the game as possible um, as much as they could. I think it was a team effort between him and Kasanoff and some of the actors, too. Yeah, well, I'm like, you know, the 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 movie has it has a, a, a story that really does take you from point A to point B. There's character arcs for our three main heroes. It It's all there. It's, you know, it, it doesn't have to be so it's not very in depth or, or, or so deep. But, you know, it really characters change like the, our three main heroes changed throughout the, uh, throughout their journey of this. So, you know, it's got, a, it's got a story that kind of keeps the connective tissue between all the story for all the fights that happen. And it's funny. Cause I always think about the movie and think like, geez, there's not enough fights and the fights aren't that great, but then we're watching it. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a certain level of quality of the, of the fights throughout the movie. And there's a, like, there's a, at least a few that are just really good. And then, mm-hmm. um, and there are those nods to the the games itself because you do have a lot of signature moves and uh, fatality things and uh, flawless victory di- dialogue. Yeah, the dialogue, yeah. Um, just enough to just like keep you. It, it doesn't matter if they're in there, but it's kind of like, well, why wouldn't it, why wouldn't you say fatality there or flawless victory somewhere? You you have to use it. And in the world of the movie, it's like the entire world of the movie is so bananas that it all just still makes sense. Like I think, because it's uh, almost yeah. kind of weird that he does say, I mean, Shang Tsung is just the hammiest <laughs> character. <laughs> like it's just so crazy. Uh, and he, he's great. Like, it's just a great character to have in this movie. Cause he, uh, I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll get into the act, the other actors, but I just, uh, I, I think having that, that stuff that connects to the first game, with with pieces of the second game to and you know they they were expanding the lore of mortal Kombat in the in those games and the movie sort of introduces you to those things so you can you know you can enjoy that uh i think that's really cool they kept it really simple though what i do like is uh you're talking about showing some nod to their special moves and their signature moves and it's funny because as a fan watching the movie you're waiting for it right as their fight sequences happen so when Scorpion actually does the fatality with the mask pull off, it's incredible. Like what a payoff. But then in another scene, when you have Liu Kang do his, his chicken kick or whatever, it's Uh just so funny and so corny, but at the same time (laughs) you love it because that's, that's what it looks like in the video game. Like what did you expect for it to look like in real life? That's what it would look like. It's, it's really fun. I mean, I, I love the campiness of it all. And I feel like, they're in part of it's taking it seriously and part of it is just having a blast and if you've watched the behind the scenes footage uh, it seems like they're all having a lot of fun like they knew that they were in this scrappy low budget film and just wanted to to have fun with it and i i think that comes through in the final product i, I think you can tell that they they just believed in what they were doing yeah well, and it's funny because you're referencing a moment in the the Liu Kang reptile fight, which is absolutely the best fight in the movie. <laughs> that uh, they it was one of the two that they add to the film, you know, to really amp it up. But you know, reptile is called. You know, uh, th- this creature is enveloped in this this corpse, and he transforms into reptile. And then you hear the video game 
narrators say reptile like <laughs> and then when Liu Kang does his bicycle kick they took the you know the 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 audio from the game where his high pitch sort of like you know whatever he's saying um it's, you know they rip it from the game because it's just like we're almost at the end here's some more like have some yeah. fun <laughs> and i appreciate that as a, a fan and i think if you didn't play the game, I think it's got something to it that adds just interesting charm to the, the film overall. Like it's just sort of weird, you know, and, and uh, it totally works. Yeah. It's, I, I wonder for someone who, I don't know, maybe like an adult who'd seen this movie or maybe not an adult, but an older, you know, some of their twenties or thirties, they, you know, if they weren't as familiar with the game, did it make, sense did the plot was the plot clear enough i feel like they did a good job translating that same plot you know like you said they kept it simple it's really not that complicated it's a tournament that's happening how do we get these characters to the tournament it makes sense you've got your enter the dragon kind of reference with the mm -hmm. them coming over on a boat so that's cool <laughs> um but uh and the fight sequences i don't know you know i I loved this movie when it came out. I loved it less as I went through my snobby college years and then my post-college years. I watched it a, a few years back and was like, wow, that I don't think that aged that well. Then I watched it this time and I loved it all over again. We've talked about this before with, yep. with Twister and some of the other movies that it was I just I'm able to have more fun with it now and not take it as seriously. Because I think I yep. went in with the same expectations that, you know, this is going to be huge. And after the initial love for it kind of wore off, I was like, oh, man, that could have been that could have been a lot better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the exact same experience I had, too, was like I was all in it first. And I was kind of as the years went on, I thought about where they dropped the ball and could have could have done so much more with it. And then eventually you come around and it just becomes this nostalgic fun trip. And I'll say the last time I watched it, uh, it was probably the most fun I've had watching it since I first watched it because mm -hmm. I know what I'm in for now. And I just a blast when, when Scorpion opens his hand and that cheesy, horrible CGI thing comes out. Yeah. I, I, I like love it now. I think it's, I'm looking forward to it. Whereas in the past, I kind of cringed, you know, cause I yeah. thought, why would they do this? But now it's it's kind of like Street Fighter, you know. It's the same idea. Like if you're gonna watch the movie, just be all in. Don't yeah. you, you got to lower your expectations and just have fun with it. And I I, I think that Mortal Kombat gets better with age now yeah. that I've kind of gotten over that. Yeah, it's and and I feel like it's got the yeah, it has the right mix of silly and cheesy and you know some decent action and you know a, a you know a, a okay plot. So it it works now. <laughs> um, I don't know the the cast. I think has a lot to do with it too. So if they had if they had made that move, if they had gotten a Tom Cruise, and the, you know they had, I mean they they almost had a whole different cast. You know they they had Cameron Diaz was Sonia Sonia. She was oh, she was yeah. cast. They had they had seen her in the mask and and immediately went after her. She was in training. She was you know just learning, uh, you know her, her fight the fighting style for the film and broke her wrist during training. And uh, Bridget Wilson or B Bridget Wilson Sampras was kind of their was not to be rude, but was their sec was their next choice. 
she they had been debating for so long about who they were going to cast that she ended up taking Billy Madison and kind of said goodbye to Mortal Kombat right as she's finishing filming Billy Madison is when Cameron Cammy Diaz breaks her wrist and then they come calling like Bridget you ready you ready to be Sonia <laughs> and she apparently flew after her last day of filming just flew right to the set and was filming the, the way they scheduled it is that they filmed her dialogue scenes first so that she had time to learn to train and learn how to fight and film those sequences at the end i think the fight with kano was the last sequence that they shot for her oh. her year in 95 was pretty crazy man huge she did, she did higher learning billy madison mortal Kombat, and and nixon oh like she went she went from like the I mean, I guess she did Last Action Hero, but prior to that, like, she was a soap opera actress, right? Right. And she went from that to, like, I mean, I don't think anybody expected big things from, from Billy Madison, but, like, it's a pop culture phenomenon, right? And then, like, <laughs> Higher Learning was very, like, I mean, at the time, you know, very, you know, it was a, it was a pretty high-profile movie, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, that's John Singleton. It was his follow-up after Boys in the Hood and a very similar vein. And, um, you know, that's a serious movie. And she, yeah, she was everywhere. And even after that, I think, you know, once she connected with Pete Sampras, I think she, she kind of dialed the acting back and didn't really have to work. So kudos to her. I don't know if we're going to go into all the the roles and who was put into the movies and how we feel about them. But Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> starting with her. Jax, this is Sonia. Do you copy? While you're at it, why don't you call my agent? Do I look like your secretary? What is your general impression as her being cast as Sonia? Were you okay with it? Were you not? I mean, thoughts? Anybody? I, my honest opinion, I, I don't think that's the right casting choice. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I think yeah. she she was fine, but that's not at all the Sonia that I was imagining. There's a few that are like right on the head for me in this movie, and there are a few that aren't at all what I was expecting. And I'd say I put her in that category of she did great, but um, that's probably not who I was expecting. Well, the dialogue too. I mean, th- this is one of those cases that where is that line? Is it, is it the actors here with, with this dialogue or is it that the dialogue as written that is not holding up and how much can you do with those words as an actor? Um, the, the physicality of it. I mean, looking at today's stuff, when you see, uh, you know, see whatever, if it's the Marvel movies and, and uh, you know, those actresses doing very physical stuff, I don't think she's in the same league as those people or, or was, nor was the expectation at that time. There wasn't a lot of female action stars and there was a few, but uh, the, her dialogue in particular is really like really tough, (laughs) really tough to listen to. I think a lot of the dialogue is pretty cheesy and I don't, I don't really have, you know, much skin in the game here, but like she did do most of her own stunts and stuff though for this movie. Right. So you know, I mean, I think yeah. she, I mean, she definitely like put herself out there f- for the role, you know, but again, sure. certainly cheesy dialogue. And I, I would, I, I mean, from my own personal opinion, you know, I feel like the delivery of a lot of the lines in the movie, whether written cheesy or not, are also delivered cheesy from, from the actors. Yeah. But again, to me now going back and rewatching it and 
you know, it works a lot better for me now than it did when I first watched it. And so I, I kind of to, to EK's point, like, uh, and yours, John, like just kind of coming, I, I did a 180, you guys have gone 360, but it's like, I think, <laughs> I think now it's like, man, you know, like, even though it's bad, like, because it's bad, it's good. And, and so it's, it is a lot of fun. I have a question for, for Eric. What if, if, so if, if you guys don't think uh, Bridget was the right casting and you said you had some ideas for who would be, who do you think would have been the right casting? I mean, do you think Cameron Diaz would have been, would have been more in line or do you have a different idea altogether? No, I don't. I mean, it's be interesting. I'd, I'd be interested to hear what John and David have to say about this too. But for me, it wasn't about having a specific actress in mind, you know, whereas with some of the other actors, for sure, I had somebody in mind. It was just that her, her look was so wholesome and happy and friendly that I didn't take her as like a fierce cop, you know, this mm. rugged street yeah. cop that's ready to throw down with all these criminals. And so unfortunately, it's just her like, her chipper demeanor <laughs> that doesn't really relate to the, the ruggedness of Sonia, the character from the game. That's all I think is what caught me a little off guard. Right. So her, yeah. Veron her Veronica Vaughn-ness doesn't play as well in, 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 in uh, Mortal Kombat as it does in Billy Madison, for sure. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you, I, you know, we don't have to dwell on her too long, but that, that was just my general impression was she just seemed a little little too happy and chipper to be Sonia for me. Yeah, it's tough. Like you, you need a, you need a little Linda Hamilton and T2 type. Yeah. And that's yep. really, you know, yeah. I don't, uh, to be honest, I would be very intrigued to see Cameron Diaz in the role. I know that um, seems like weird casting too. I mean, she, for... she wouldn't have been any better, you know, yeah, I, right. especially then. I mean, she wasn't, she had the mask and she, that was it at, the, at that time. But uh, I think, I think the, I mean, it's, it's tough because it's, I don't, going into the movie it's like i don't really care about kino or sonia as like like uh, as a fan of the game or whatever and so and i think the script sort of treats her not so great uh, necessarily um but she, she is made part of the the trio of heroes and it's it's a good it's a good balance to have them but she really only works as like part of the trio um and then like but i mean i do i do enjoy her fight with kino i think it works i think it was a when I watched it, I was like, "Oh, this is a little bit better than I expected." I mean, it's the, it's not so exciting, but I think it's well executed in terms of choreography and stuff. So, I don't the, know. the leg that leg clamp, though, you know, the the special <laughs> move. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty painful to get through. It make, it yeah. makes me laugh out loud at this point. Now it's yeah. it's fun. And it was yeah. surprising that that Kano gets knocked out of the the movie. I mean, so early. It's really like the yeah. first, definitely the first half of the movie, and and one of your lead characters is gone. Yeah. But uh, I will say that I always had one person in mind for Sonia, and that was I don't know if you guys are familiar with her, but Cynthia Rothrock. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. She'd oh, be awesome. She, she was Sonia. I mean, she was she was the Chuck Norris, uh, the female Chuck Norris uh, of the eighties yeah. and nineties. And uh, you know, to me, she looked like when I look at her, I'm like, that's Sonia. That lady should have been Sonia, and I would have bought it all the way because she's completely tough and can and she's a martial artist. She can pull off all the action, and she's a you know for for what her movies were, she was a decent enough actress that she could have easily pulled off Mortal Kombat. China O'Brien. Oh, yeah. yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, China O'Brien. Yeah. China O'Brien, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think she was in our our she was mentioned in our uh I believe she was in our our top cop tournament from a couple of years ago that we did on on our social media. So yeah, that was that was what I thought for that character. Um let's talk about our top three. Who's it? Does anybody have an issue with Robin Shue? I personally I felt like he he was the one that fit. Like he he is Liu Kang for me. He's perfect casting for me. I mean, I think that that's like, that's probably my favorite cast of the whole movie was him. He he is literally like Liu Kang. I mean, he looks great. He's got the moves. He's got the build. You know, I, I believed it 100%. Yeah, I, I like that one a lot. He, uh, yeah, I think he did really great. I think, I think looking through some of the other names that I've seen kind of attached to the to the role, I also would have been maybe interested to see uh, Jason Scott Lee because I, I like him a lot as an actor. Um, yeah, I'm not as familiar with with Robin's work, but uh, you know, like the things that I've seen Jason Scott Lee in, I've really really liked him in. But but I do think that Robin did a great job. I think he's of of the group probably the strongest cast member. Yeah, well, Robin Shu, I think, was a stunt person working with uh, Jackie Chan prior to this. So, right. And he was the one encouraging the other actors to do their own stunts. So they're all like, like Lyndon Ashby, who we'll talk about in a minute, was like, I'm not doing, I'm not doing this stuff. Like, that's what stunt doubles are for. And he's like, no, but if it's you, it's going to look so much better and you're going to feel better because you did it. And of course, you know, he got kicked really badly in the kidney and there there was a fair amount of injuries for the actors and i don't know if there was some heat on robin for being the one to to uh push them to do it i don't think so though and this was his first american film too so he was new to this process i think he had come from a different style of filmmaking which Mm -hmm. was everybody's all in everybody does their own stunts and uh, i do think though that he was a little shell-shocked when he came to the american cinema however the his charm shows through on set you know some of the behind the scenes footage that i've seen everybody just loves him he's he's got he's very charismatic and he's got this charm to him so i think he brought maybe an energy and he's a bit more legit like he feels like a real fighter you know and so maybe that kind of that raised the level a little between him and the guys playing sub-zero and scorpion you do kind of balance out the weaker ones who clearly don't come from a fighting background. And that mm-hmm. it, it just makes it feel a little, maybe it raises the bar a little. And I do think that Mortal Kombat ultimately rides on his shoulders more than any of the actors. And there's a reason why he continues on to part two is he was such a strong, a strong character and really well cast. So why yeah. wouldn't you keep him on? Yeah. yeah, when I when I think Mortal Kombat, he's the one he's the image that pops in my head it's Liu kang and robin shu that uh that Mm -hmm. that's the imagery for me so after after you saw the movie did you play with Liu kang more in the video game i didn't i i think Liu kang was the hidden secret player you know honestly if you knew how to use Liu kang he i think they beefed him up intentionally in the video game he just wasn't my go-to even yeah. though he was an amazing player, I just was more uh, starstruck. I was like, "Oh, I want to shoot lightning and stuff." Yeah, like that. he wasn't so, as he wasn't. He was too uh, too much based in reality, right? Like part of the great thing about the, a lot of the other characters is kind of that that fantasy element to their to their martial arts, and that you know, like Scorpion shooting a spear and 
sub-zero shooting ice and you know that kind of stuff yeah but i do like that they did give Liu kang that moment in the film at the end where he does get to it's not quite a fireball but it's a a blast of energy and so we do at least get a little bit of that served to us so yeah i think that's that's pretty fun hi johnny cage you are we've got robin shoe covered let's switch gears to our, our old pal johnny cage what are I'm curious because I have I've mentioned it for two reasons previously on this show that I have a fondness for Lyndon Ashby. Lyndon Ashby is not a household name, but I love him in Wyatt Earp, which we covered last year, uh, and which you can find in our archives at www.reconcinemation.com. <laughs> but separately from that, he's in a little movie that strikes fear in my heart called werewolf and (laughs) werewolf was i'll mention i'm going to keep talking about it and we're going to cover it later this year but werewolf was a a tv series that aired the i believe it was the first year that fox was a television station and it was um the the pilot uh was a two-hour pilot and then one season series and the pilot is fantastic it's great it still holds up very scary uh, Chuck Connors is the villain in it, and Rick Baker does the effects and oh, werewolf wow. effects, and it's it's like top level, completely forgotten series. There's like five people in the world who remember it, but Lyndon Ashby is in the opening sequence of the pilot, and I won't say what happens to him, but he's only in the opening sequence, and he's great. So I he's got a special place in my heart just because he's in those two uh, those two things. Now. Mortal Kombat. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much I love him as Johnny Cage. What do you guys think? I'll, I'll just, he's my least, I, I like him the least <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in this group. And looking at the other names they have attached, I don't really know that any of the other names I would like any more unless it did end up being Jean-Claude Van Damme, which for me would have been good, but I understand why that didn't happen. But yeah, well, why, I don't, why, what was, was Van Damme doing? I know Street Fighters around this time. So I don't, was that later? No, it's because of Cyborg uh, or no, a universal soldier. Universal soldier is what it was. The story goes that he was pitched it and he, I guess, because he was riding high on his, you know, cocaine fantasy that he said, um, the video games are below me. Like, I'm, I'm not going to not going to do a video game. And so that kind of took him out of the Mortal Kombat world entirely. And that's why they had to just adapt his likeness. But once he wrote himself out of that, I think he was off the table. Like, I, mm. I think that was it. That was the end of that. So even though, yeah, of course, he would have been incredible in in that position however i feel like he would have also maybe steamrolled everybody else you know if you have oh, yeah. yeah just like fair. he did in street fighter you know yep. i mean he came in a little too hot and a little too strong at that period in his life and and i think that you needed somebody who was maybe a little less um confident <laughs> to be able to just play the role straight and not play the role as sean claude van damme also once again, just like he did as Guile in Street Fighter, 
he's supposed to be this all-American, right? So Johnny Cage is supposed to be this American actor. And what would you have? You would have Jean-Claude being <laughs> Jean-Claude. And so yeah. I do think that also played to a disadvantage. Now, as far as who was cast, uh, yeah, I would also agree. This is not my Johnny Cage at all. Um, he strikes me, he's just such a kind of a dork in a way, you know, like I think he, he strikes me as somebody who would work in the same office as Chandler from Friends. Like he's got that <laughs> kind of nerdiness to him that doesn't, and not that's not a bad thing necessarily because, um, you know, it's not that. It's just that he's not, he doesn't have the same kind of arrogance and cockiness that you expect from Johnny Cage. Like Johnny Cage is at the height of his fame. He's one of the top actors, you know, and he's he's just this really cocky person. And even though this, this is played that way it's not believable in that way i think it's it's hard to put my finger on but he he just never felt like johnny cage to me ever yeah i I, i'm not going to disagree with you at all even though i love linden this movie is it's it's i just he's not he's not perfect for that role um you know of course the character is built around or modeled after jean-claude van damme so that would have been number one but i agree that if he had been cast in this movie, he would have taken over. It would be it would become the Johnny Cage story rather than really the Liu Kang story or the 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 trio. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I'm intrigued by the Tom Cruise of it all. Um, what was '95? Tom Cruise. What was he doing? The firm. He was. This was after the firm. This is before Jerry Maguire. Um, before Mission. This is right before Mission Impossible. So when was uh, Interview with a Vampire? When was that? Ninety four. So this is like yeah. sandwiched in between. Yeah, but you there talk you about you talk about Jean Claude becoming the Jean Claude Van Damme show. If you had Tom Cruise join join the ranks, this movie <laughs> this movie would have spun a completely different direction. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Same, so it's same, the same problem. It's the yeah. same problem. I'm going. I'm going. William Zabka, dude from Cobra Kai. <laughs> I like that guy. He should. He should do it. He's my new that favorite. Hey, you know what? That would have been interesting at the time. Um, he probably would have been the right age, and yeah. he would have, with the Karate Kid background for an audience, that would have that. You'd have that connection where you you bought it. You would buy. You you know you've already seen that he can do the martial arts. So. Uh, I, that would have been really interesting, and of course, by that time, his career had kind of really yeah, he wasn't, slowed he down. Wasn't, he wasn't doing anything. Nothing. <laughs> he was available. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Your soul is mine. What did you think of Shang Tsung? Like, as far as that casting, uh, I think that was the, they did the smart thing in changing the age, so that because in the first game, he's you know he's an older guy. He's kind of like. Um, uh, you know, your villain from Big Trouble in Little China, like that real old, uh, you know, sorcerer. And then in the second game is when they they age him down, right? And he's a playable character. Mm -hmm. So I think that was smart to, to I mean, Kerry Tagawa is great. I think that's, to me, I think that's perfect casting too. Yeah, he's probably, after, after Liu Kang, he's my favorite cast. Um, I mean, unless we're going to talk about Goro, if we want to go there, because we'll, I love... We'll get it. We'll get to Goro. <laughs> but, but I thought Shang Tsung, he plays it so well. And yeah, he's playing the part two version of, of him too. And he's even got the vest and everything like that. So I thought that was really cool. And he just, he, he and Liu Kang carry this film, I think, more than yeah. anything. And even though they are written in to carry this film, 
that doesn't mean that they necessarily could have and but they did and yeah. so i think the the, the the most redeeming qualities of these of this film are those two characters right there and those two actors doing just with the material they're given i thought a hell of a job well and and shang sung has a lot of the one-liners you know the flawless oh, victory yeah. <laughs> you know they're, they're all coming from him and he's just yeah. like it's perfectly set up for him to deliver that line and he's i think carrie tagawa was an underrated actor i mean he he was in a lot of he was in a lot of movies at rising sun he's in license to kill he's in a ton of movies through the 90s and um i don't know i just i never thought he really got his just due i felt like he he was a better actor than some of the movies he was in um but this at least gave him a big spotlight and i think he totally delivered he's raiden god of lightning and protector of the realm of earth oh great oh there's your rational explanation listen you have been chosen to defend the realm of Earth in a tournament called Mortal Kombat. Okay, what about the biggest name that's in this movie? <laughs> Islander himself, Christopher Lambert as Raiden. That, that's a bold choice. All right, David, tag, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> to, bring, uh, to bring the Highlander himself, uh, Connor McLeod in as the 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 thunder god the lightning god of 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 this chinese uh what are they a uh uh temple of this chinese temple yeah so like it's it was interesting choice i (laughs) that you know that he 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 brings that star power um but he is very entertaining in this role. It's weird that Raiden is just a kind of a wisecracking old guy, like who's just trying to teach him some lessons. Um, <laughs> um, I uh, so I grew to I grew to really appreciate him being uh, as this figure that sort of pops in and out, and just and it's weird because the entire the fate of the entire planet is he's aware of, you know this is he's a protector uh, on earth. And then you just kind of having a good time. Like, yeah, guys, you can do this. Don't worry about it. Like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> it's such an uh, interesting character. He doesn't, he doesn't bring a lot of seriousness to it. He tries to explain to them, you know, how serious it is, but he's not quite serious himself. Uh, but I think fine casting, I don't know who you put in that role if that's the kind of character you're doing. I mean, you, you don't want to get someone who's too jokey and too, too silly and you can't i don't know i I don't think you can get someone who's not uh who's who's too serious uh either so lambert what what an inspired choice yeah i think uh, he's sort of like the narrator almost because he's he's the one explaining the plot you know to the really to the audience but to these three characters so they know what the hell they're getting into here but it's an it's such a different take on this on the Raiden character. What, what do you think? What do you think, Ek? Well, I mean, I think the obvious would have been to go with the right ethnicity for the character would have been my first choice. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, having him come in, I it's hard. I'm torn because I like him as an actor. I also think he stepped up into this role and really helped out uh, the the less seasoned actors. So behind the scenes. I, I support this casting, but on the surface, you know, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, the whole reason why I liked Raiden was he reminded me of Big Trouble in Little China. And yeah. so imagine 
Christopher being that character in Big Trouble in Little China and it would have just ruined it. And so I felt like it wouldn't have been a hard ask to find somebody else, but also this really was their only star power and they needed it because their budget, you know, 18 to $20 million, that's not a lot to work with. And it makes sense. I think this was my biggest, even though Johnny Cage was maybe my, the, the feeling that I had was the worst cast. Raiden to me was my biggest disappointment when I, watched the movie, I mm. was just kind of shocked that this was who we were getting for Raiden. Now that's the character can talking about reconcinimation, like the whole concept is as the years have gone on, I think he becomes one of my favorite characters because of the absurdness of him being Raiden in this movie. It just makes it so fun to me that mm -hmm. I can't wait till he enters the film because he takes over. He's got that He's got that thing about him that, uh, you know, so yeah, he, he's a complicated cast. Um, ultimately, I'm not going to get worked up over Mortal Kombat and I'm very happy that he's in it. So <laughs> I will take him in it versus not in it any day. Yeah. Well, he brings uh, that star power, especially when, when he walks in a room with the other three, you know, he's the heavyweight and yeah, it just took it in a different different direction than than the Raiden character from the games. It's a totally different look. It's a very different. I mean, the the comedy, the jokes, like he added a lot of that in. There were there was a lot of problems with the script, and the script was was not finished when they started shooting, which is not uh, uncommon for these big budget movies. So, Lyndon Ashby and Lambert are the ones making some of these script changes on set and they're adding humor to their characters and these little jokey kind of winks at the camera. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know, as like Raiden is serious with them, but then when they leave the room, it's like he laughs and it's, it's like he's playing chess with them sort of and having a good time. So it, it takes the, the weight off of it. I think I agree that, that, as time has gone on, it, it plays funnier to me now and, and I can just have a good time with it and not be kind of disappointed that it wasn't the Raiden that we all kind of wanted for this movie. Uh, and it gets much worse in the second movie, but we'll, we'll, oh, we'll yeah. get to that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't think it makes much sense, but I, I also read somewhere that they tried to get Sean Connery to do it and I don't yeah. think that guy makes much sense. I, and I, I mean, I love Sean Connery, but that doesn't make much sense either. You know, well, thinking, let's go I'm back thinking, to I'm thinking giving, giving oh, sorry, just real quick. If we're going to give like the homage to 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 Big Trouble in Little China, why not put James Hong in that role? You know what I mean? Like exactly have yeah. him have him play Raiden. He's funny. He can definitely cut it up. And, you know, like it's, you know, more in line with, you know, the ethnicity and everything. So I, I don't know. That's that's who I would have gone with. But or I, who I think would have been a good, a good, a good person for that role. Yeah, that's that. That would have been that would have been perfect casting, really. <laughs> but your A-list casting. Imagine if the movie ended up with Sean Connery, who they went after for this, and he turned it down because he want he didn't want to do action movies. <laughs> Fast forward to 1996 when he does The Rock. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Maybe he did that because he knew he missed Mortal Kombat. So <laughs> um, they also went after Danny Glover. Danny Glover is oh, Raiden. Yeah. Really? Don't see right. it at all. I, I would not have bought it then. I wouldn't buy it now. I you mean, know, I have one I have one interesting connection to Big Trouble. If 
if I remember correctly, somebody would have to probably get on IMDb and double check this. I think uh, Shang Tsung's, uh, you know, first acting role was an extra in Big Trouble in Little China. Really? Really? Yeah. If I, wow. yeah, I haven't, I think that just stuck in my head. I'd have to yeah. look it up. <laughs> Imagine if we had Tom Cruise, we had Sean Connery, we had Cameron Diaz as three of the four leads. I mean, this movie, obviously your budget would have doubled right there at least, but I don't know. I, you know, I, would audience have, audiences have reacted to that positively? Probably at the time, yeah, but would it have had legs? Maybe not. It would have been the Street Fighter scenario yeah. where you had you had big actors in Street Fighter and it did nothing because the script sucked or Super Mario Brothers or whatever. You know, you have all these instances where you bring in more established actors. So I don't think that that really would have helped at all, honestly. I think that they believed it would have, but um, I think going with lesser known, more less established actors serves with the the aging of this film better. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we don't we didn't have pre existing notions of of what they'd done in the past and what they've gone on to do. They've all all of them have this kind of middle of the ground, uh, you know, filmography, and so that serves to help the aging of Mortal Kombat because. I don't watch any of these actors anymore, even Christopher, to be honest. I mean, I love Subway and all those films too, but I still, I believe him as Raiden. He just, he's mm -hmm. middle of the ground and it's, it's fun. Whereas if you would have had Tom Cruise or stuff like that, I couldn't rewatch this film today and not see Tom Cruise in all the films he's done since. Yeah. You know? Well, the, yeah, that we've talked about it here too, about how, you know, mega A-level stars how they be they play they're playing themselves in various situations they're not so much acting and playing characters anymore whereas tom cruise is always tom cruise and for years i you know he doesn't act much anymore but jack nicholson was always jack nicholson in this situation as he got older and and really was a huge star at the peak you know he wasn't really playing you know he wasn't stretching his acting chops very often anymore de niro pacino same kind of thing um, so yeah, I, I think it would have ended up taking away from the movie. Uh, I will say we, we see in the opening sequence of the movie, we see, uh, Jax very quickly with yeah. Sonia and, uh, who would become a bigger character in the second game. Um, and then the second movie, but, uh, the original casting and, and EK, you, you'll love this one. If you didn't know it already, Steve James, from our, our back from our canon episode and Avenging Force and American Ninja was uh, going to be Jax. And unfortunately, he oh. passed away before they could film uh, film with him. But uh, imagine that. I mean, that guy, that's perfect Jax for me. I would have loved that. I, I have a problem with the casting of Jax in both movies. So, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I liked Jax a lot. I, I liked his character in the game. And so I had high expectations for him, too. I thought he was really underutilized in the first movie. And then the second, they really had him so over the top campy that, uh, you know, where's the balance there again? Well, mm -hmm. think about this. If you've got Steve James, that's only half of the equation. You know, you've got to have Dudikoff. So could you have Duda? Could Dudikoff <laughs> be Johnny Cage? That'd be great. I you know, what's funny when I was taking notes today, I wrote that down. I said, how I like, 
I had a note that that questioned how long it was going to be until John brought that up. That exact scenario. I'm not <laughs> joking. <laughs> I'm number one with the fan at the fan club. So <laughs> that is hilarious. That would have been great. That would have been what the fourth or fifth pairing for the two of them. I, I don't know why someone didn't put Lawrence Kasanoff. If you're listening, which we know you are, we see the yeah. subscriptions. Why <laughs> did you not make that move? Let's <laughs> let's get to the bottom of this. Call call in 1-800-909-9900. That's the number. And we'll we'll talk it out on the air. <laughs> um my favorite I I think my favorite moment in the movie. It's I, I you guys tell me how you feel about it, but the moment where that door opens and Scorpion and Sub-Zero come through it. It's this kind of not slow motion but a little bit slowed down shot and that's their intro shot to the movie. I thought that was brilliantly done. I loved it. Goosebumps. Uh, that's that's how you intro a character. Wow. Yeah. Like on the boat. On the boat, right? When they just walk in on the boat. Yeah, when they walk in, they're about to attack. You know, prior to the tournament, and then then uh, Raiden shows up to put an end to that. That just that's the moment that gets you. That's uh, that's my favorite moment. That's my fanboy favorite moment. Wow. Shoot. Boy, geez. What's my favorite moment? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I have a moment. I just, I, I just always like watching the Liu Kang uh, reptile fight. That's my favorite part of the movie. It's, it's, it's longer than any of the other fights. It's got, a, it's got a great uh, track underneath it. It's, it's just, it's more brutal than any of the other fights in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, it, it's there, it's there to really amp up everything. Uh, to, to really bring a, a, an extra energy to the film. Um, so I'm so glad they added it in. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, so happy with that. Yeah, well, they, I mean, they they shot the movie and they ran it for test audiences who liked the plot, but were saying there's not enough fighting. So they went back, they added the reptile fight, and they added more to, I believe, the Johnny the Johnny Cage scorpion fight. I'm not sure which sequence uh, they added, which it was because they have like sort of two different fights, like one out in yeah. the woods and then one um, wherever that is that they're fighting. They, <laughs> I, I think it's I, where. Uh, it's Freddy Krueger's boiler room, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They it had that has to that that second part of the fight has to be the add-on because it's that's what I think. You know, but it's kind of funny to think like what did how did like Reptile was throughout the movie and following Kitana. I don't think they. I think that character was probably always there, but then did what? You know, how did they come up with making the fight? I mean, I guess they could have added the whole thing, but and then. How, how did Scorpion and how did Scorpion originally die? Did he kill him? Did they just fight in that field and Johnny Cage beats him? Like I'm curious, like what the original Probably. cut of the thing. So, yeah. And then how did Johnny Cage get out of that other dimension? Like they, they literally went to another dimension. I think I, I, he I don't probably know. just did another another shadow kick to get out. You know, yeah, that's how he gets in and out. <laughs> well, I, I have a question for you guys, all of you guys: is why why was Reptile? this CGI creature crawling around throughout the whole film when that is not, that wasn't him in the, in the uh, games at all. He was just a normal ninja. So that really confused me. I love that they bring him in, you know, for the fight that he looks great, but it was really weird to me that they played him that way. And that's what makes me wonder if, uh, you know, David, what you're saying is this add on for the fight sequence where he is an actual person and a ninja is if they said, well, you know, we have to insert him, then reinsert him into the film. If you have a CGI character, 
you can just kind of put him in the scenes randomly and it doesn't really disrupt what you had already shot versus yeah. if he had been a human actor, you would have to reshoot everything all over again. So yeah. I wonder if that was the decision because that, that always confused me. That was a really weird choice to make him this kind of creepy, crawly, lizardy person when he's, that's not who he is. Yeah, it's, it's, it is funny. I, I think, and then maybe that's what it is. Like they just brought that whole little arc in because there's a shot when Liu Kang notices katana and then it's it's almost like they purposely just had a, a rep i mean they probably could have shot it but it's just sort of like it almost seemed way too obvious like i felt like they inserted reptile into the shot <laughs> then yeah. like he's there watching katana and nobody and then shang sung tells him to follow so yeah i don't know i wonder maybe maybe he wasn't in the movie whatsoever that's a that's fascinating but what you can do to uh uh, you know, just change, just add a little bit of flavor to the whole thing. Cause yeah, I, I, I don't know anything about the lore of reptile in the actual games. Like is he maybe a creature that is, takes a human form? I don't know. I mean, who knows? I, yeah, I don't, I don't remember, but I guess maybe one maybe informs the other, but yeah, I guess yeah. it's a cop out making him a CGI guy that just can become a person. Well, Against you, its own will, apparently. It didn't even want to turn into a person. I don't know. Right. <laughs> the way the CGI is done. Yeah. And well, it's, you know, you see it a lot in the in the sequel that you, you get these kind of outlandish, bizarre choices for some of these characters and and the design of them and, and who they are and, and really over the top. And that was probably just what they were doing, my guess, is with that character is just trying something different and it didn't didn't really work until he becomes uh the fighter and that has that great fight sequences or that fight sequence. you know what what i will say about reptile though my favorite my favorite thing is who voiced him did you see who voiced reptile was and that Shao Fra Kahn. was that Fra uh, frank walker <laughs> yeah it was yeah. i i just love he just pops up all the time everywhere yeah and I, I just love him so much and i just think that that's great that of course he was that voice. So oh, yeah. anytime I can tie him into a film, I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah. I love He's in so many more movies than you realize because he does not just characters, but he does sound like screaming sounds and, and all other, all these other kind of sound effects that, um, you know, quick things that he does. He's not even really credited in this movie. I mean, he does get, uh, he gets some kind of vague credit, like way deep in the in in the credits. Uh, not even with the cast; it's like way at the end of post production and and way at the bottom there. But um, yeah, great. Oh, uh, this time watching it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's I could don't even have to think about it. That's Frank Walker. I don't think I picked up on it uh, the first time I saw it, but he's always yeah. doing creatures and animals and stuff yeah. like that. So it's like he's a natural for that. But this was, you know, he's the voice of Megatron, but this particular voice, at least of Shao Kahn, is the voice from uh, Inspector Gadget. Yeah, which is also the voice of the Cave of Wonders from Aladdin. I mean, it's the same yeah. voice over and over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so who else? Uh, Talisa Soto is in the film, and she is uh, Princess Kitana, who was not in the first game, was only really in the second game. And there was originally going to be a, a, a romantic angle here between Katana and Liu Kang that, that got cut out of the movie. And clearly you can see it was headed in that direction. But um, I don't know. She, I don't know if that was perfect casting either. I feel like she kind of took me out of it. 
and definitely mm. didn't buy their you know half a fight sequence that they have. Well, it's weird because like, isn't she supposed to finish him? Like, why did they the the fight just kind of ends? Yeah. Like, and he purposely said, "Keep Katana cannot join up with them." So why would Shang Tsung make them fight? Like, you know, it's and that's the that's the part where it that doesn't matter to me. But it is funny that like you know it'll it it still finds little ways to like uh, be illogical to itself, and it just doesn't really matter. Like. Yeah, you know they have to inevitably just team up, and that's what's going to happen. But I do love that, like, yeah, there's sort of a, she's sort of this exotic, unapproachable woman, and it's like, you know, it, what is she? What she? What's her agenda? It's all, she's sexy, cool, you know. And then, you know, Liu Kang's just not really. Johnny Cage accuses of Liu Kang of just, you know, being super attracted to her. And as though there's something wrong with that. Meanwhile, Johnny Cage is being a chauvinistic, like loot, like pig towards yeah. Sonia for the first half of the movie yeah. and making it very clear that he's just really interested in hooking up, you know, like, you know, that thing that's just, just, <laughs> just flirting so terribly and all that. And it's like this, it's, it's, I don't know. It, I, I hate, I hate that that's part of the movie, the Johnny Cage, like, being kind of a pig to Sonia the whole time, and then yeah. Sonia, of course, at the end of the film, becomes a a princess in an eight with an eighties haircut and leather and a leather dress. Well, and, oh, and wow. like completely <laughs> helpless. You know, she's she's yeah. you know when you meet her in the beginning, she's this super tough cop, like rugged or you know intended to be rugged, uh, yeah. strong cop, and then by the end, she's uh, she's was reduced to a helpless. Uh, you know, a, a helpless princess who who can't who has to rely on the the male characters to rescue her. Yeah, you and know, like, I, I, I I didn't like that then. I didn't like it. I don't like it now. Yeah, yeah that's a that's a flaw in a lot of '90s filmmaking, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just a yeah. guy. You know, it's a guy thing. We got to look out for you. Like it's a line in the movie. It's a guy thing. Like, ugh. Yeah, and I also with Katana. You know, I think it's cool that they put her in. It's a little weird that they were so selective on which which characters from part two they put into the movie. Like yeah. they didn't put them all in. They just put random ones like Jack's and stuff. And it's, it's weird. So to put Katana, but not put Melina, like those two in part two are hand in hand. It's a, a pink and purple, you know, it's like Scorpion it was, and Sub-Zero. It, exactly. And so it was weird to me. That always bothered me that like, where was Melina during all this? And so I know that happened in part two, but it, that, that seemed like a strange choice. It seemed a little, you know, unbalanced. And then also, this is just minor, but I loved that Katana's character had the mask on in the video game. I always thought that made her cooler, like a ninja, like Sub-Zero and Scorpion. And instead they just make her kind of like this normal woman walking around and it, it kind of removes the, the badass quality of her being in this mask, you know, with a fan that can cut you in half. Like. Mm -hmm. They didn't do any of that. And I feel like they, they dummied her down in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was a missed opportunity, I think, for that character here. Or just cut the character from the movie. You know, if you're not going to use that storyline, which was fine uh, for the second game. But yeah, not a big well, fan of that one. I, yeah, I, I think it's she suffers because there's just enough, there's just enough characters that they give enough attention to that she kind of gets sacrificed uh, in that but it's also introducing lore that the, the second game gives you that he's you know she's related to the emperor and all that and like yeah so it's like hey well here we gotta 
how else do you bring these like earth char- characters in like okay she's got she can be the guide she can she can help them it's like she's there as a as a as a tool for the for the you know mm-hmm. the main characters it, mm-hmm. it it's and once and if you were to introduce Melina, I mean, you're adding 20 minutes to the movie, and then yeah, now you yeah. got this like extra sprawling thing. It like there was an economy here um, with, you know, having seven main fighters plus Shang Tsung, and then having to introduce, you know, very shortly the uh, Art Art Lean or whatever the character, like the other American fighter. Who, oh, who I was I was about to I was about to set up Art. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So like you know, there's there's just enough going on. That's why like Mortal Kombat Annihilation has just got characters from the second and third game, and it gets yeah. bananas, and it's way too colorful, and it's crazy. It's 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 a it's a parody of itself in a, in a, this kind of way. But um, that's that's why this this the simplicity of this movie that kind of mirrors the, the game itself, um, I think just really translates very well. I never saw Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Well, I'm gonna your have... loss. It's your yeah, loss. Yeah, your loss. <laughs> your loss, buddy. I have to earmark <laughs> that one for later. <laughs> Brent, that's definitely a, a late night watch for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go back to what you just said, David. Is, is art... Is Art Lean not the best character in this movie? Because he's my favorite. <laughs> I want more from Art Lean. Justice for Art Lean. More, Justice more. for Art. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> just you know, it, and it's Johnny Cage who gives him his credentials. Like, I saw you. You're a real good fighter. You're really good. Like, and and the and the the actor Kenneth Edwards. I mean, he's like a he's a master. Like, he's very serious martial artist and i think he maybe has one or two moves at best and he fights goro yeah and he's just killed it's kind of funny like hey we need like this amazing martial artist and i mean maybe he did other stuff on the movie in a sense like with them you know but (laughs) he's just a guy who dies like and there's other like american type characters that watch like a guy in a plaid you know vest oh yeah yeah like plaid shirt (laughs) there's like a ton of people that are still at the tournament that how do they get home? Do they yeah. <laughs> like yeah. at the end of the movie? Because they're that's not. That's my favorite guy, the Pearl Jam guy. He, I that's what I call him, the, the like Pearl, Pearl Jam, Jam fan. Yep. Yeah, he's got to jump in a water taxi and head out. Well, well, there yeah. was two guys that were that were like they almost seem like brothers. They look very similar, and they're shouting. Are those people we know? Are those actors we? They look so familiar in a sense. Are those? Sort of... uh, I I used to think those are those guys, uh, the, those twins who were in the bar. The was it called Barbarians? Oh, sure, yeah. Remember that movie? I, I always felt yeah. like it was those guys. Looking, watching it this time, I don't think it is. But uh, okay, no. Th- they it's were not. i th- this is some of the best background or not best but my favorite background acting that <laughs> yeah. i've seen in a, in a movie i mean just watch it again but only watch the background at all the fights it's hilarious oh yeah, yeah i mean yeah. really solid stuff there highly recommend it and so we're setting up we haven't we haven't gotten to it yet but we it's been sprinkled throughout is Goro like yeah. can we can go. we get to Goro because I I'm just gonna I'm not gonna like uh, sugarcoat this I'm a huge Ray Harryhausen fan and how Goro was created in the video game I felt like they played to that in this movie and had it have been a reptile effect with a lot of CGI and stuff I think it would have taken me out but he looks awesome if you just take it for what it is. 
he's probably my favorite part of this whole film is the Goro character delivers as a video game character in this mm-hmm. movie. Like I love everything about it, but I think I'm also just a fan of that, you know, in general. And every time I watch it, I don't think there's been a single time that I didn't just smile every time he enters the room because it's so ridiculous and over the top. Well, what, what can you do? I mean, when you make the decision to have the character in the movie, you know, in 1995, you think about where effects were, where they were, you know, mechanical, the Stan Winston, of course, this one's uh, designed by Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff, who did uh, Alien 3 and, and there's so many, you know, special effects uh, designs. What else could you have done if you did it with like they did Reptile and completely CGI it? It was it would have absolutely taken away from it. On the other hand, you know, there's obviously no actor that looks like that. So you're going to have to develop a, 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 some kind of suit and me- mechanics that are going to do this. And I I don't know, you know, now I, it, it takes me out a little bit because it's just those are dated effects and and that always will take me out. Um, but I don't disagree with them making that choice. I think they did. I think they be- they did the best they could of what they had at that time. Well, you know, what's interesting is if you compare it to the CGI effect, which they do in Annihilation, where her arms, you can see them kind of floating away from the body at times because the CGI is so bad. And so I would say, yeah, sure, it it could have been better. However, comparing the two, which is funny, considering that Annihilation had like almost double the budget. So you the CGI arms of, of part two just look so bad that I'm glad that they went more practical, whether that was a budgetary you know, decision or not. I think it helps with the aging of the film. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, like, uh, it's funny how the, the, the puppet and lumbering puppet mirrors kind of just the character in the game where he's just this big, like massive thing. You can't really, you can't drop kick him, you know, like he, he's too yeah. big. He's just kind of big lumbering mess and you need, specific ways you can't trip i don't think you can trip him either you know or sweep the leg or whatever so there's uh you know he's an unapproachable like like beast of a character uh and he's kind of that way in the movie too and he just kind of gets to be this larger than life thing i i see the attraction you know or the draw toward toward goro um especially like when we're sort of really introduced to him like talking with kano who's just like enjoying his big turkey leg and telling stories and uh, you, you oh yeah kano i forgot i almost forgot about your boy kano yeah and i forgot that's a really long scene where it's like goro kano and shang Tsung hanging out and they're being spied on <laughs> yeah. um and it's and it's funny because the the way the movie is edited you they clearly took a scene right after that was going to be the the trio and raiden talking about we can't beat that thing but then they move that towards later in the move toward toward the end of the movie where after goro kills art and they're like, we can't beat that thing. Like, and they, but then, but that's a huge. He, he just scene. beat Art. We can't beat him. Yeah, <laughs> look what he but, did to Art. <laughs> but like that scene also serves as with the four of them talking is Raiden sets up like all their problems and like this is what you have to face. And you could totally see that script wise. You would totally put that earlier in the movie. But then the the first half of the movie is front loaded with Raiden just instructing them on a million things. So it's actually somewhere in the edit they figured out, wait, this is going to work better here. And the only reason you can tell is because they're wearing outfits from earlier in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if you could say this is the next day or later, 
they're wearing like you know sonia's completely in black and uh you know luke king's wearing his button-down shirt which they 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 lose about halfway through the film yeah it's i was like huh i i I don't think i noticed it until i watched it this time like oh they moved they moved a whole section of the movie to here and it actually works him him giving him a last piece of advice before the big act three oh (laughs) great job editors (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's a great catch david yeah thanks yeah, and I'm with you, EK, on the on the Harryhausen thing. I think I think that Goro, uh, you know, looking like uh, I mean, it's kind of an homage to the Kraken from Clash of the Titans with the multiple arms and everything, you know. And I think just stop motion in general is such an amazing uh, art form that you know I actually wish we would see more of these days because it's just you know it's not something that happens a lot, and when it's done well, it's really cool to see. Yeah, and if you've ever looked into the production. Uh, footage or photos of the video game of part one being made and seeing the actors posing in the costumes for for the photography and then they talk about Goro and they said well clearly we don't we don't have an actor for this that's it's a model that's you know maybe two feet tall and -hmm. it's a clay model that they moved around and it's that character is claymation in the video game and I felt like that was that lent itself to be a kind of more Harryhausen type character in the movie. And we wouldn't be as um, concerned or jarred by that because we were already expecting Goro to kind of look like a little bit of a claymation character. I think that that worked in their favor. Yeah. One one thing that kind of like bridged the movie here uh, or put a parenthesis on it. I think the opening is really strong. You know, the first, the first, Thing you see and hear in the movie is the logo and the song and that's boom mm-hmm. like it puts you right in the rhythm of the movie you're right in the zone right off the bat and then at the end i think this is a great cliffhanger ending and ends on a really strong note you know it sets up a sequel it's got you know they the, the the heroes have united here comes shao khan as this big giant frank welker voiced monster who's like a cloud thing for some reason, (laughs) but we won't get into that. But like your big baddie is like really revealed right at the end that it's not Shang Tsung. It's not Goro. It's this, it's Shao Kahn. And he's come to, you know, take things into his own hands. And then that's where, you know, the heroes unite and then you get the theme song again and you're out. And I I think that was a perfect way to begin, begin and end the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, it, after you watch the movie don't you just want to get into a, a like a karate fight like absolutely immediately <laughs> like i, I love that get me into <laughs> I maybe want to fight people on second thought maybe that's what my uncle did in in outside the movie theater he was just so pumped that he had to fight heidi fleiss yeah, that's <laughs> that <was> right <laughs> blame think, it on mortal Kombat. yeah i think everyone should get have a a karate fight set to techno music at least one time in their lives at least you haven't lived if you've if you haven't done that that's right (laughs) well that's what we have over on on stage nine david that's what you've converted here at recon cinema studios uh your your mortal Kombat themed battle zone yeah absolutely we've got we've got a a a cast of characters over there and anytime i feel like just getting into a fight go over there's high kicks and and punches and various weapons and there's always awesome techno music playing (laughs) (laughs) um one thing before we move on to the box office uh 
Trevor Goddard, who plays Kano. I, I think he was, I think he was totally great as Kano. I bought him. I, yeah. I, I that was one casting uh, that did not bother me at all. I, I thought, you know, he was an actor who showed up in a lot of uh, mostly kind of B level action movies in the '90s, but I thought he was always uh, credible. So I, I thought he was good casting as Kano. There's an interesting story with him too, is that I was watching this really low budget horror movie called Hollywood Vampires. And the lead was doing a really good job considering the movie. Like he had, there was, he had no business being in this movie. And I, I was so impressed by his role compared to the situation he was in. I looked up his credits and it was Kano. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, uh, this is awesome. I, I think he was a good actor. He, um, you know, he, I think he was a great actor. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2003. Like, I guess he was in Pirates of the Caribbean as yeah. well. So. You can, he definitely, he's, st- he's a standout in Pirates as like one of the, one of the pirates, but he's in an, a, a couple of fight sequences there and he's, he doesn't have a huge role, but he's definitely noticeable that, oh, it's Kano. He's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's talk a little box office and see how this movie did. Um, as we said, it had a $20 million budget. It comes out August 18th, 1995. And what do you know? It's uh, scheduled to open up against the Babysitter's Club. So Ooh. who's going to uh, take the win there? Fight. Of course, <laughs> it's Mortal Kombat <laughs> with the flawless victory. Uh, <laughs> opening up at number one uh with a 23 million dollar opening week that's uh pretty good yeah i'll say in an august uh, opening and it's funny because we cover so many movies on our show uh, i'm now over a hundred uh that uh very often the box office it's the movie that we're talking in question is rarely the number one movie of the weekend so it's mm-hmm. always it was fifth or fourth and it, you know it made a or 23rd thing. <laughs> but we're, yeah, but we're talking number one at the box office. This is huge. 23 million making its money back in the first weekend. Yeah. And, and dethroning dangerous minds and a walk in the clouds from the number one and two spots. So, uh, you know, I guess Liu Kang uh, took down Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. And it, uh. it went on too. It had legs on it. I mean, it kept pushing and yeah. What was it? By the time it was done, it was a hundred and twenty plus or something like that. Yeah, it was a, worldwide. Yeah, yeah. It had a 70, 70 million domestic run, and then uh, what, yeah, one about one twenty two worldwide. So Jeez. that's a huge hit. I mean, that's that's a, a really big hit, continuing the franchise. You know, ninety five. You know, this is coming out simultaneously. I think right around the the third game. Um, which to me, it always felt like Mortal Kombat 1, 2, and 3 were like one version of, of you know, like a trilogy. <clears throat> and then the rest is like, I think a, a different developer took over after 3 and it started to change and they modernized and it didn't have quite the same look. Now Mortal Kombat is up to what? Uh, David, you just got it, I think, right? Isn't it 11 or something? or MK11, which I'm MK11. assuming... Yeah, they're uh, the ultimate edition uh, for PlayStation 4, where I can play as the Joker, Robocop, the T-800, and uh, Rambo, John Rambo. Right? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. It, I don't know if I'm on board for all that. 
well, it's insane, and it plays like this style of game. It's played from Nether Nether Realms, I think, is the company that that does all the MK games, and they do all they do the DC Injustice games, uh, Injustice, and it's a bit they're they're fighting games, and then there's a storyline, and you play as different characters through the story. So you're not you don't pick a character and then play the game. You there's a specific story. And then this this that that game and brings back all these characters and it MK11 is insane. Like well, I don't you can can't you download? You, there's downloadable characters that are from the first movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think and they're voiced by their respective actors. So it's it's the trio and Raiden. Uh, I think are all in it. And uh, I think Shang Tsung. Uh, is also in one of the versions. So, and well, he, I mean, Shang Tsung, the characters in the game, and and Carrie does the voice of the character himself. And I, there, I think maybe his movie skin might be in it too. But uh, not to really dive deep into it, but it, the the game takes place after all these things have occurred in this universe of fighting and all that. The characters have now reached a certain age where Johnny Cage and Sonya Blade have a like twenty year old daughter. Uh, <laughs> who's like a kick-ass military person. And then there's a character that controls time that has an agenda that brings in old, younger versions of a ton of characters. And then they end up fighting each other and being used. Uh, I, it's insane. So there's a young Johnny Cage teaming up with an older, more mature Johnny Cage. And uh, and apparently in the present day of the game, Liu Kang and Kung Lao are like undead servants of the, the emperor. They're They're evil. I don't... It's I don't know what's going on. Wow. But boy, I got hype playing it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's good to see the games come come back, though, because the the trilogy was a was a a huge hit. And then when part four came out, uh, that was that was a massive flop. I mean, it, it just really the graphics sucked. They were trying too much. And you you had Final Fantasy seven and all these other films coming out or all these other games coming out. And uh, four was just not not cutting it and it took a while it took a while for mortal Kombat to come back into the fold and be relevant again after that i mean i think those first three just were nobody was expecting it came out of nowhere took the world by storm and then four just sucked all the steam out steam out so it's nice to see you know a a few years later they got their stuff together and then it started to kind of slowly come back into its own right so it's cool yeah. to see it still around because I think it is an awesome franchise. But it, like all franchises, you get your your highs and lows. Well, especially when it was so influential and it created like sort of a subgenre of fighting games, and and you influence so many people that like how do you stay relevant? How does Mortal Kombat stay ahead of the pack? And and they couldn't for a long time, and then. Finally, they came back around and it has that name value. So there will always be interest in a Mortal Kombat game, whether or not they deliver. I don't know. You know, they expanded in the like David was saying, and the, the, the story of the game has gone so crazy and so many characters. And that was part of what went started to go off the rails with three and four is that you've got, you know, you had your original characters and now you've got twice as many, three times as many and robots and like all these other, you know, characters, like who do you really care about? Um, So it's, it's good that they've finally, you know, like you said, got it back on track here and Mm -hmm. we'll see what they do for the next one. But yeah, um, as a, 
as as well as the movie did, it was still only nine, uh, uh, number twenty six uh, box office wise of ninety five uh, between First Night and Get Shorty. So it's still pretty <laughs> way down on the list there, but still a, a huge hit and capitalizing off the success of the movie and the continued success of the games. They go right into a sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, that we've also kind of quickly talked about and wow that is a movie that uh i don't know if i could ever watch it again it is it is bad i mean there's not even like laughable really it's just not there's nothing really uh nothing happening with that one yeah you gotta you got recasting you've got character deaths uh that you wouldn't like to see and you've got uh it's 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 what Robin Shu and Talia's uh, Talisa are the Soto. only two that come back. Yeah, uh, and then um, and it it it's a crazy convoluted mess of a story, Cre- like you know lots of familial co- connections to Katana's family, and it's it's you know they just have to protect Earth, and it's very colorful. There's some good fights, I guess, but it's it's completely bananas. Lots of green screen and CGI that doesn't look good, and it's ambitious, but it's like it is. It takes all the the fun and the zest and the can do attitude of the first movie, and says it just ignores it all and just tries to do just something way too big for itself. And it's it's a big misfire. Um, trying to cram in a ton of lore and recognizable characters, maybe to maybe to sell action figures at a certain point. I don't know, but it's mm. a it's a boy. Oh, it's a Portal Combat. What Can't wait to watch it. Oh man! <laughs> if you find it for free, give it a shot. You guys are really yeah, selling it. <laughs> it's really rough. The the CGI and the the green screens, uh, man. I mean, yeah. you guys know me by now. I I love my cheesy movies and I love my low budget movies, but that's not the fun kind. This is the like cringe kind because it's just it's bad. It's really bad. It's a lot of flying through the air, but clearly they're not flying through the air and stuff like that. And it's hard. I, I've watched it twice now. And uh, yeah, you know, like like John said, I don't I don't know if I ever need to see it again, honestly. Um, yeah. Whereas part one, part one has a charm. Part yeah. two doesn't, it just lacks that charm to it. Yeah, well, part one, uh, the first movie's got, uh, you know, a certain level of rewatchability for sure. And that is does not exist for Annihilation. I mean, the casting changes, you lose a major character in pretty much the opening of the movie. Um, one of your one of your lead heroes and whoa, whoa, whoa. spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> I know. Spoiler alert. <laughs> after that, um, you know, you've got you don't Lyndon Ashby recast. Uh, Bridget Wilson recast Christopher Lambert recast uh, you don't have Carrie Tagawa it's you know Robin Robin Shu is really trying to carry the movie with a bunch of essentially unknown actors um, and then you've got uh, oh what was the actor's name from Cobra who plays uh, Shao Kahn Brian Thompson right uh, yeah. oh yeah 
who's fine in certain movies but uh not fine in this one so and then the the terrible cgi on top of it just it's a really bad mix and 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 that guy from uh is he from like sex in the city or something like that that plays raiden oh james remar yeah i mean he's from (laughs) yeah yeah I mean, he's from the Warriors. He was he was yeah, yeah, from, from Forty Eight Hours yeah. and almost was Hicks in Aliens. I mean, uh, he James, just, he's a decent choice for a character to watch, but I mean, not you know, not he's Raiden. not Christopher not as Raiden. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's it was rough. He has a distinct voice. It's almost like let's pick someone that doesn't seem anything like Christopher Lambert. Yeah, put him in there. And, <laughs> um, yeah, I think he brought an earnestness to it. I think I think him and Raven Shu and Silly's uh, uh, all did their best, but boy, what a yeah, just yeah, it ended up well. Being and a big disappointment. You've got a different director, and Paul Paul Anderson. Uh, you know, after the success of Mortal Kombat, w- w- they tried to get him for the sequel, and he said he wanted to, you know wanted to do something different. He ends up going off and making Event Horizon, which mm-hmm. is uh, I loved that movie when it came out. I have not seen it in years, but. I, I, I still love it. Yeah, I, I have a feeling it's going to age well. I know a lot of people that really that really love it. Uh, but him seeing what happened with Mortal Kombat Annihilation is what motivated him to stay with the Resident Evil franchise and be you know creatively hands on for all of those films or most of them at least. Because um, yeah. he saw what happened and how Mortal Kombat just went off the rails, and he felt really bad about that. That hey, if I had stuck around. Like, I know what this is. I know what we can do with it. You know, he, he felt like he probably could have steered it back on track. But it to be happen. fair, to be fair, I just watched all the Resident Evil movies and those go off the rails, too. Like, <laughs> I, bet, yeah. I mean, and they, but by the time you get to part like, I think, five, they're pretty. I'm not really. I'm not a Paul Anderson fan. I mean, other than other than Mortal Kombat and Event Horizon, I have not uh, really enjoyed much of his stuff. But that's just me. So, in the world of video games uh, translated into movies, would you say where would you say this one stands? I mean, when this came out, uh, when this came out, we had what Double Dragon. We had. What was the other one? We had Super Mario Brothers and we had so, Street Fighter was right around this mm-hmm. time. Right. Would you say this was right. uh, leading the pack yeah. far and away? Uh, this to me, I mean, I was, yeah, I, I had every intention to ask, what is the, what is the best adapted video game movie? And I will still maintain that this is the number one. I don't, I don't care how successful Tomb Raider was. This is the absolute best faithful adaptation of a video game movie that managed to be a quality film, which I think is your question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least leading up, leading the charge from this point, you know, after, after it was out. But does that, I mean, does anyone have a dissension? Is there a video game movie that even comes so, close to this in terms of like direct- not Mario brothers, you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i not i mean i honestly i know it's not anything like the game and it's not great and it's funny that we're talking about him but i really do like resident evil part one i thought it was great it was fun mm. and i would say for me even though i like mortal kombat if i was going to be honest about uh favorite video game adaptation and maybe it's because it's more in the horror genre and sci-fi genre i i love resident evil part one i can watch that anytime 
Yeah, that would be my number one vote personally. At the time, for sure, it was it was without a doubt like the the best video game adaptation. I don't really. I mean, it still could be, you know, like I don't I don't really know how many. I feel like there's been so many video game adaptations now that I can't even think of all of them. And if one might be better possibly, but I mean, at, for certain at the time when it first came out, it was by far, I think the best video game adaptation that, that had been done without a doubt. And then uh, it probably is still in the, in the conversation now, years later that there's probably been hundreds of them done. Um, you know, it's still, it's still in the top tier for sure. And I agree with you, EK, like I, I like the Resident Evil movies. Like the reason I watched all of them is because I liked the first one so much as like, yeah. there was a yeah. deal, there was a deal on the box set to buy it. I was like, you know what? Why not? I'm gonna, I got, I got nothing. I'm gonna watch it. So I, over the course of like a couple weeks, I watched all of them and they go pretty far out and then they come back a little bit, but it's, you know, it, it, uh, it's certainly, that one is a favorite of mine as well, but but this one stands stands up. And again, when it first came out, you know, like it was a different story for me. But now I, I like a you know, it, it really was a lot of fun watching it this time around. Part of I I would say that this for me this is number one, and the reason for that is it's just such a faithful adaptation of the story of the game. It's not exactly the game, but it doesn't you know it, it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily trying to be the exactly the video game i mean lawrence kasanoff has talked about how this is really its own thing it's based on the game but it's its own movie but is really uh it, it keeps the story strong and uh, to me that's what a good video game translation into our adaptation into a movie is or should be and and this is going to be number one for me um, regardless of how financially successful other movies have been and or how many sequels have, have been made. For me, that's that's just that's what my my thought is. Absolutely. But uh yeah, and now guess what? We've got a new one coming. Just a couple, I believe it's uh gonna be a couple weeks from now. We are going to see a the new uh entry into the franchise, which is a complete reboot. Uh the trailers out there. I'm skeptical. <laughs> we'll we'll see. It's going to be on HBO Max soon, and Ooh, we'll find yes. out. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the trailer. I should. I'm going to watch that right after we're done here. I, I mean, I saw the trailer, and I was like, "Is this a fake trailer? It feels like a fake trailer that someone just made." But no, it's the real one. So I I, I don't know. We'll we'll see how it turns out. Is this more John, combat? I, oh, go ahead, uh, John. I'd say that too. It feels like a fan film is it, it I, I i need some more convincing i was Ooh. really really excited about the idea of a of a reboot and it's apparently much gorier like it's trying to go back to its roots of of what made it famous so that's mm. cool but at the same time the way it feels in that trailer is very much yeah it, i felt that too like a yeah. fan film how I mean, it's all there. The formula is there. The story's there. The characters are there. Don't don't fuck it up. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, don't overcomplicate it. It is what it is, and that's what made the first movie work so well. Yeah, sure. If you want to add more gore, I'm definitely on board with that. That's part of what made the game so successful. So, 
but we'll see. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to gather everybody together, socially distant in uh, screening room four, and uh, and and air it for everybody. I'm in. Well, uh, I think you know. We've covered the movie. I think that's all we're going to say about the second movie here. <laughs> uh, I thought maybe one day we could do a whole episode on that one. We'll see. That, that might be fun. But <laughs> uh, I think it's all of our all of our matches are coming up in the next hour here over over on stage nine for the tournament. So we're going to have to wrap things up. Uh, David, you've got Kano first up. Uh, EK, you've got Scorpion and Brent's uh, on with uh, Sub-Zero. So I'm going to take on Reptile. So that's that's our first round of the tournament. And whoever survives will be back here on the next episode of Freaking Cinemation, right? (laughs) Oh, test your might. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, all right, guys. So uh, just a quick uh, thank you, uh, EK, for coming on the show. Uh, we, we love having you here and can't wait till you can come back again. But of course, if uh, people want to hear uh, your musings on all things 80s, pop culture or movies, uh, tell everyone quick about, about your podcast, Laser Graves. Well, first off, thanks again, guys. I, Of course, I love coming on here. This is... Uh... So much fun, and especially this episode was a blast. But yeah, if you if you want to catch what we're doing, we're at lasergraves.com. You can see or hear all of our episodes there, or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, you know, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon, all that kind of stuff at Laser Graves. And then if you want to find us on Instagram, we're at Laser Graves. So that's what we're doing. We're staying busy, having fun. It's a blast. I loved in particular the Bob Ross episode. That was just, <laughs> that was great. It was so much stuff I did not know about him. And, and every every episode, you guys deep dive uh, a really fascinating topic. So you guys definitely check that out. And uh, and uh, thank you to our friend Curtis Moore for the poster. Uh, always, always fun seeing what he comes up with. And check out our social media. We're at Reconcinimation Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, com, and uh, drop us a rating and review on, on Apple Podcasts, wherever, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps the show. So, um, all right, guys. Well, I'm going to wish you guys luck in all your fights. I, I have a feeling you're all going to be back here soon. I, I, I don't think they still have zero. All those guys stand a chance against you guys. That's right. <laughs> Thanks. All right. We'll uh, we'll see you guys next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. Bye now. Bye.